Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Happy Holidays! Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversants are KC Miller and Eva Krilova. Eva is a... well, she's a lesbian, but I, I guess that... that I, yeah, she's a lesbian, but she's also an author and a writer and a uh, public performer of selfies on Twitter. She's also a rock climber. She's been on my channel a few times. Wonderful soul. And Casey Miller is also a lesbian, et cetera, et cetera, and a detransitioner and is kind of figuring out life young early 20s. And Eva's, I guess, in her early 30s. I'm in my late touring on 40s. So this is a multi-generational or at least a multi decadal conversation. We speak a lot about both of these women's relationship to their bodies and to development and to depression and community and finding themselves or themselves or they themselves. I, they're both she's at this point, but finding sure selves. And we just kind of share the experience of their lives with one another. And I just kind of facilitate that. So that's all you pretty much need to know before we dive in. Without further ado, here is Casey Miller and Eva Krilova. Oh, Yay. and there Hold on she is. There we go. Why is the lighting weird? Hold on. Ooh. Let me look, look at the list. Look at the list. Yeah, I have the little list. Oh, gosh. There's more stuff. But did I put you on my nice list? You put me on both. Oh, yeah. You're the only one on both. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why am I? I, I was going to say something about it, but I'm like, nah. Nah, I'll just let it slide. You're the only one on both. That was on purpose. I just couldn't quite. Uh, That's okay. Oh. Well, depending on who you ask, I'm on either one. Yeah, yeah, I figure. Oh. My goodness, I'm so happy to meet Canada's preeminent lesbian. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I'm honored. I'm sorry to hijack your interview. It's okay. <laughs> I'll make an exception. I'm honored to meet you too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I did. I did have some uh, reason. Uh, well, I mean, Helena ha had to bow out tonight, and I'm like, you know what? I think this would be a nice pairing here. You mm -hmm. know, this is like a. I'm doing these kind of cocktail interviews. You know, like let's 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 do like so. Eva's the shrimp, and and Casey's like the the sherry. You know, shrimp. so we'll see how the, well, I'm shrimp, all right. Well, I mean, well, not, I thought not I would be the shrimp. shrimp. I'm not that refined. I'm, I'm not, not that refined. <laughs> to be sherry. Lobster. <laughs> what do they eat in Canada? Do you guys have seafood up there? Yeah. <laughs> you have seafood. <laughs> we do. It's better. It's all if frozen. You're, it's all frozen. It's better if you're on the coast. It's better if you're in Vancouver. <laughs> Wait, Eva, didn't, didn't you have a, some guy show up to your house with, like, frozen meats twice? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that you that tweeted was, about. 
that was yesterday and, it, and I, I answered the door because I thought it might be my neighbor because the guy was like all bundled up and I couldn't tell who it was and he and he just like he stood really far back which I guess was to make me feel comfortable fine but I couldn't hear him over my barking dog so he was like saying something about how he's selling seafood and and steaks and pork and all this and I was like I was like I'm working right now <laughs> like I just didn't want it. it was so cold and he's like okay okay and then later uh he came back and I ignored him so and some I saw somebody respond. There were a couple of people. One person was like, uh, that's creepy. And another person was like, well, he's just trying to make his living, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it wasn't creepy. He had like, like, I could see the truck. Like he was like, you know, and they had some kind of name on it. I don't know what, I forget what it was. Meat bros or something. <laughs> and he had, he had like a Santa hat. So he was trying to, he was really nice. He was like trying to make small talk. He was like, oh, your Husky must love this weather. Hey. And I'm like, I'm so cold. Like he's, you know, I opened the door just in my regular clothes. Like, it's like, man, you gotta go. (laughs) You guys don't have like vestibules in Canada for half the year dealing with the cold. No. This has to be everything. Like like a little like like porch kind of area or like a like a middle. No, and my house is just it's very old and it's very cold. (laughs) Yeah. Do do you tape up your windows with that cellophane stuff? No, I should. I've done weather stripping around the doors and stuff, uh, but I left the front door because the dog sleeps there because she wants to be cold. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, she's always hot. But yeah, no, that was fun. <laughs> Eva, I, I'm sure that there's like some sort of secret algorithm to your naughty and nice list. Do you want to keep that private, or did you want to like open it? Because it was it was the, it was a rage of the internet. People were fighting over this. I think I was I was the first one to respond, and were, I had to yeah. grandstand a little bit about it. But then everybody dogpiled and started fighting over like, why am I naughty? Why am I nice? Bah, 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 bah. Well, I'm confused. I was put on both, and I'm like, I'm not going to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, it was just a feeling. Uh, the naughty list was kind of more like really like troublemakers. Like everybody, even many, like I put Colin Wright on the nice list. Of course, he's like a huge troublemaker, but he, does, he doesn't really, he's kind of like, I'm sticking to the science, you know, and like not really like saying offensive things and stuff, like not to mm-hmm. the wider society, just to the TRAs. So I guess that was sort of the criteria, but sometimes I was just having fun. Um, and I kind of, I love that that took off. I didn't think it would, I didn't think people would care. Did you put twice? Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I wrote that and I'm like, I wonder if they're going to notice. Cause unlike my first video I did with this setup, um, like I wrote hello and then someone please help me. I know. Oh, you did see it. No one mentioned it. I swear I did. I swear I did. So now my thing is going to be, I'm going to write little messages on the board and see if people notice. I'm like, I'm putting the list up. That's a great idea. I love that. Yeah, you're gonna have to keep adding to it. Yeah, exactly. Inside jokes are the best. This is what you're gonna do. If you're gonna be public, you gotta have your inside jokes. You know? Exactly. I, I gotta try and make it a little bit funny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You have to keep it lighthearted because it's so easy in all of this to just like get uh just to get depressed and to get really down. Yeah, and my story is just like so depressing that I gotta crack jokes somewhere. I gotta like make people laugh. Yeah. Um you know, so I, you know, it's, it's little things like that, the list. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I, cause we did chat a little bit in DMs. I think I reached out to you cause after the video went viral, I was just like seeing all the reactions, some of which were just horrible and toxic. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, are you, are you okay? You can take a step back if you need to. <laughs> yeah. But you were, you were kind of like, yeah, I'm all right. 
Yeah. And um, truth be told, I was dissociating throughout the entire thing. I don't remember like those first couple weeks. I do remember we talked and I was just like, uh, it looks like I ruffled a couple feathers. And you're like, that's a good skill to have. And it's funny because um, like I've talked in like group therapy occasionally because I'm like, well, this is kind of part of why I'm here. And they're just like, what the hell did you say in that video? And I told them and they're like, that's it. Like people are getting upset over that. And I'm like, yeah, I just have this inherent skill, I guess, to piss people off by saying normal things, you know, so. That's true. It really, yeah, it really wasn't that crazy. Like I watched your first talk with Benjamin and I realized, yeah, you're right. You didn't even say at, in, at that point that you were choosing to like detransition. You were literally just like, this is my experience. Like it really wasn't that. And the way that it took off was pretty crazy to see. Mm-hmm. Eva, do you have any guesses or reading? What's your reading on why it took off and the way that it was responded to? A massive amount of very big TRA slash YouTube influencers dogpiled on it from ContraPoints to, uh, I don't know the names of everybody. All I know is ContraPoints, but a lot of the big ones. It's just really, it hit a nerve. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. Do you, do you have any understanding of that? Well, I hadn't thought Being about somebody it who has hurt, hit a couple, a couple nerves <laughs> in your time. Um, honestly, like just thinking about it now, I think because they all saw that it could be very dangerous, that it could be very convincing, that it could really tug at like heartstrings, that it could sort of be very disruptive. I really, I really think maybe that's what it was, that if, that if this gets shared far and wide, people are going to like peek over it. People are going to maybe, uh, that's kind of my guess. And so, well, I mean, in, in a certain way, they brought it more attention, but it's like yeah. they were trying to get out ahead of it. It's like they were trying to say, like, to, to just, like, denigrate it before it got too big. That's sort of my guess right now. It but. didn't work. Someone said it was, like, the Streisand effect. Do you know what the Streisand effect is? Um, that basically, like, by the TRAs, like, dogpiling and trying to suppress it, it actually got more attention. Like, the clip Absolutely. ended up on Tucker Carlson Friday night, and I had nothing to do with it. And then I found out the next week, like, people were t- um, tweeting me, and they're like, I saw you on Tucker. And I'm like, I wasn't on Tucker. I don't watch the news. And then there, some person finally DM'd me, and they're like, no, your clip made it on Tucker Carlson. And given he got it wrong, he was like, this is what happens when you take puberty blockers at 15, oh. like... <laughs> I okay so we didn't check the twitter feed but whatever the clip got out um but personally i think the reason why i was so dangerous is because i wasn't radical and i was reasonable and i i think when talking about my story i'm not using the shtick of like social contagion oh and they're trying to you know take our little girls and make them into boys and it's you know um feminism and all this stuff i mean clearly you know i have two main points my i have a sexual abuse history and i grew up in a homophobic house in a church both of these factors were known they were ignored and i was transitioned anyways Mm -hmm. and you know i did this for four or five years and now I'm coming out the other end and I'm like, hey, this wasn't the right decision. I'm going to try and make the best of the situation that I can and try and, you know, stop it from happening from other people. But the fact that I'm not using a lot of like right wing rhetoric surrounding like detransition and trans issues, it makes me more reasonable, which makes it more threatening. Yeah, I totally agree. And not even just right wing rhetoric. You're not even really using a lot of the kind of gender critical, radical feminist rhetoric either. It really was just very I think just very individual and very genuine and that's probably what really set them off because you did seem very reasonable like it wasn't just like you don't even I don't even think you were attacking like the trans rights activists really like it was just like this is what happened to me this is my story Mm -hmm. so yeah 
Who knew being reasonable was threatening? <laughs> well, I've been accused of murder all night, so... Wait, okay, I, saw, yeah. I saw a tweet on that. What's up with this uh, Eva Kurilova genocide? Uh, what, what's going on? What are you, who are you killing? What? Well, I think, it's, I think it came from... I left a comment on... Because we had in Canada yesterday the uh, anniversary of, of the Montreal massacre. Could so you uh, had... expand on that, even though it's going to be kind of sad? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't... I'm not the maybe the best to do this, but so in I think in 1989 there was a guy he he went to I don't even know the name of the school I feel terrible but engineering school and he went and he came with a gun he went to a classroom he told all the men to leave and he shot and killed 14 women because and he was he was saying while he was doing it he was saying I hate feminists you know because apparently he had applied to the school and he didn't get in and he was blaming women feminists all this right so so the, the bottom line is he gave the men a chance to leave. And then he, you know, killed the women that were there. So what's been going on is like for the second year in a row now, in like memorials for this event, they've had men speak, like trans women. Like they've had men come and give it. And it's just, it's the most infuriating thing. Like I don't, this really particularly seems to hit a nerve with us because I, like on this day, I think it's, I think it's because of the scenario that they wouldn't have had a choice to leave, right? The women, but most of these men would so it, it it really strikes a nerve and so uh the college that hosted faye johnston yesterday had a tweet about it about you know today we commemorate women and all people who identify as women or something like that so, so they're basically letting uh men infiltrate women's spaces when that space is a slaughterhouse yeah, yeah. Like for a man who, you know, because we keep saying, look, a person who would have been allowed to leave the room shouldn't be speaking at these memorials. And I'm sorry, the men, like, I, I understand that it's, it's a gray area. Maybe if a trans woman really passes, whatever. But that's not the conversation that's happening. A lot of these men that they're choosing are, are obviously men. Had they been in that situation, they would have been like, I'm a dude. Let me out of here. Like, stand up to my six foot five height, my male voice. I'm out of here. Like, not going to stick around and get shot. So, so they keep getting these men. Like last year was even more um, offensive because the man they chose, he got up there, he gave this story about how he was in like his his red dress at a bar getting groped one time, and it was clearly just like a fantasy. And he gave that at this memorial. So this year they chose another guy, and I don't know what he said, but so in a in a tweet in that tweet where they talked about all people who identify as women, I responded like, well, you know, you're kind of saying that then they can opt out of womanhood. And in, in a way, you're sort of blaming them for getting murdered. <laughs> like, it was a pretty harsh tweet. Like, I know it was pretty uh, out there, but people jumped on that. And then they're saying, I'm blaming the victim. They're saying, you're you're so awful. You're blaming the victim. They're saying, well, you, you're the kind of person who would ask a woman what she was wearing when she got raped and things like that. So it's been fascinating to watch the reversal because that's what I was saying. I was saying, if you're if you can say that women can be identified into then those women could have opted out of being a woman in that moment, right? So they are blaming the victim, but they've turned it around on me and, and suddenly I'm a murderer, so. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry that um, I, you're the bad guy for saying that a man shouldn't be speaking at a women's <laughs> memorial for yeah. people that were murdered for being women. One of the best directors on this scene right now is Denise Villeneuve. I believe he's uh, Canadian or French Canadian or French. 
and was in Canada. I believe his first movie was about this massacre. He, oh. He's done that Blade Runner. He did um, the Dune thing. He did a, a couple of movies with Jake Gyllenhaal, the movie star. Um, that are he's he's an excellent film director. But before he got big, I think his first film was about that incident. Which is neither here nor there. So you stood up for this, for you know, honoring the victims of a mass murder, and then you're called a mass murderer for doing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. lots of people are just like, oh, this is the kind of rhetoric that leads to the, to the Club Q shooting they're connecting it to, right? What you're saying leads to that, of course, ignoring that that one is identifying as non-binary, but that's what they're saying to me. I, I've been busy today. I haven't really... Seen you the, went to the mountains, of it. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but what I did see was things like that, like, like, hey, you, you know, you're the one who causes them to be shot in the first. It's just ridiculous. So, yeah, and I, and I laugh about it, like it's just so silly, you know, being directed yeah. at me. But yeah. it is still a pretty dangerous mindset. Like, I don't want to make light of it. Like, people who have victimized themselves to the point where I'm suddenly a murderer or like causing murders is like they could be pretty scary people, you know, to, to, to have you in their crosshairs. is like, <laughs> yeah. They might show up in a meat van. They might. Yeah. That could they might show up with them. hammers. <laughs> well, um, yeah. One of, one of the death threats um, targeted at me was uh, some uh, trans woman wanted to bash my head in with a hammer. Yep. And then she threatened Buck Angel. Oh, and said that um, she wanted to bash his head in with a hammer. Wow. Mm -hmm. They seem so, to go like the most hard against the pe the reasonable people, against the mm -hmm. people they're not actually truly scared of. Well, yeah, and it's interesting too because she had a GoFundMe in her um, profile that had her real legal name and where she was at. Um, and apparently she was reported. I mean, people told me about it and they're like, oh, you need to take legal action. I was like, eh, she's on the other side of the country, whatever. Um, I'll just let her, you know, claim that she's going to bash my head in with a hammer. I have a hard hat. Joke's on you. Um, but then people did report it and she pulled her GoFundMe down and her account went private eventually because she was after, you know, threatening Buck Angel. And then Buck Angel was like, oh, hell no. Um, you know, so but, you know, maybe not the best idea to put a GoFundMe with your real name and your address in it. And then no. death threaten people, yeah. Threaten, yeah. Hmm. So um, I'm sorry we avoided hammer time there. <laughs> no. You know, speaking of, and, and I, I do have to say that the, the women, the females get it worse than the men in this debate. They they generally completely ignore me. I saw one post on, on Reddit uh, from a, like about a week ago where I was an accidental ally. Um of the trans community because I write these sentences that piss off the TREs and then piss off the uh, GC. Well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. But when people go after people in this debate, it's generally women. And the rhetoric, like we see, the most public one would be J.K. Rowling. The, the amount of like pornography and death threats and doxing is just off the charts. And you don't see that toward the men. You generally do not see that directed by men toward men for some reason. But that opens up like this, um, well, misogyny is one thing, but also homophobia. And I kind of want to use those terms very lightly because they are political terms. But one thing that I, if you guys want to explore this, both being religious backgrounds and both being 
avowedly gay, if that's the correct term. That's um, my religion. <laughs> yeah, I would like I would like to hear you guys propose the question, like how to navigate that homophobia or how to accept oneself as a lesbian and how gender interacts with that, like social gendering and, and gender nonconformity. If you guys wanted to broach that, I would like to hear both of you guys um, talk about that. Sure. Um, I, I was going to say, so um, Eva, is that how you pronounce it? Eva or Eva? Uh, Eva. Eva, Eva. Okay. Um, so I think Eva is the example of what I wish I would have grown up to do. Um, you know, not like go on steroids and have surgery. Um, you know, just kind of have my short hair and wear my plaid and, you know, just go about my life. And even the whole Canada thing. I love the snow. It's like you have my little dream life. Um, glasses and everything. Um, but it it's hard. I, I truly think this is an example of, you know, what happens when medical intervention is used, like one transitions and one doesn't, because um, part of why I transitioned was uh, sexual abuse history. But another big part of it was homophobia from the church. The church told me that, you know, being gay was wrong. It was absolutely a choice. I was choosing it and that, um, you know, I needed to repent and be straight or go to hell. Um, and in my very mentally warped state, I believed that maybe, you know, all of these signs of me just having issues with my body, which it all somehow meant that I was supposed to be a boy. Well, maybe this, God does everything for a reason. Maybe this is how I'm meant to be straight, right? You know, and I, I present more masculinely anyways, if we're following gender norms and so on, you know, well, maybe, maybe this is how it's all meant to be, right? Um, with the transition, like God intended you to use the medical complex to fulfill your destiny. Correct. That, that okay. you know, got, that everything happens for a reason. And this was just the journey that I was meant to go on. But either way, I would end out straight, right? You know, in, in my brain and, you know, in the brain of the people I was talking to, I'd be a straight guy. It would all work out. You know, I'd be the pinnacle of society, a pinnacle of privilege, if you will. Um, and I would remove my gayness and, you know, I'd be right in the eyes of God. But another thing is that I, I never felt straight, like, because I, I knew deep down that no straight woman would want to be with me. And I didn't want to be with a straight woman because I knew that, that she would have to be bi. Um, and also when you're deeply depressed, you don't want to date anyway. So I never got around to it. Um, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I, I don't know. It's At least like that's my angle, but I would be really interested because I'm still working on the whole self-acceptance thing. Obviously, I've come off the testosterone. I'm working on things, but I, I'm still butch. And I'm still going to be butch, but um, I, I kind of want to hear what your self-acceptance journey is like, especially with the religious background. I didn't know that you had a religious background. Uh, not super religious. Um, I went to a Catholic high school and that's Ooh. when I came out. But Ooh. but it was it's like it's a it's a public school here. Like it's uh, both the Catholic and the private or Catholic and non-Catholic are both publicly funded. So it really wasn't like super religious. Um, like my parents were Catholic up until I was maybe 12 or something and then decided not to. So I didn't really have that religious pressure. Um, 
I guess my biggest deal when I was coming to terms with it, when I was like, I was 15, it could have been sooner, um, was, was not so much the, the religious part, but just because I didn't know anyone else kind of like me, like there, there was like one other girl in the whole school and she was quite butch. And so she was the lesbian, right? She's trans now, uh, uh. has been for a long time. Yeah, that was sad when I discovered that. But so my only deal was I didn't want people to like see me differently. Like I didn't want people to just see me as like the lesbian. Um, and I think also it's a really a matter of time because I'm like a decade older than you. Like I'm so I, I always think that, you know, had this been around when I was younger, um, I think that I would have tried to pursue transition as well. Like for sure. You can't know for sure. You can't know for sure. But I would have had all the signs like I would have justified it to myself like, well, I like girls and I'm a little bit more tomboyish and I've only ever had like boys as, as friends. And I think I think just me coming along earlier was like a huge protective factor because it wasn't even on my mind. It, if it had been in my head, if it had been a possibility, I would have like probably obsessed over actually I'm really a boy and I should transition because at the same time, um, it's not like I was super proud. Like I said, I, there was no other, there was not like a gay club where there was not like anything. So I just had to come to terms with that. Um, so I, yeah, I guess it was never like mm -hmm. a huge deal. I think until I was just in, like I had dysphoria as well. Like I, I, my body, not, not terribly, but up until even my late twenties, I kind of was always thinking to myself because trans stuff was then huge by then when I was in my late twenties. And I would think to myself, well, what if I'm like super depressed one day I wake up and I realize I should have transitioned, you know, I should have. Um, so I think it was when I really started accepting myself was when I started finding kind of gender critical stuff. Uh, because not because it was just critical of trans stuff, but because there was this strong like feminist element that was like, your body's great how it is. And, you know, estrogen is awesome. And like, and I was like, wait, yeah, actually my body's pretty cool. Like, or even the discussion about sports and how, okay, female performances aren't as good, but like, you know, here's what a female body is made to do and here's what it can do. And that's amazing. And like, um, so that helped. It's really only over the last three to four years that I'm like super proud and like, <laughs> you know, branding myself as a lesbian. So long-winded answer, but that's kind of my uh, journey to self-acceptance. And This is not a conversation that a man necessarily belongs in, but just pretend that I'm not here. And if you don't want to answer this question, don't have to. I, I would like to just hear your thoughts more, both of you, on on what that gender dysphoria or the, the body dysmorphia or how that manifests with you, like the dislike or discongruence with your physical form as a woman. And then, you know, how uh, the different ways that, you know, you coped or struggled with that. Uh, do you want to go first this time? Sure, sure. Uh, so I would say, like, I would say I definitely would have hit, like, criteria for gender dysphoria, but I don't want to play out that it was particularly terrible. Uh, so just as a kid, super boyish, right? So that didn't really have much to do with physical stuff. But I, I do distinctly remember starting to go through puberty and being weirded out that my hips were bigger, like, just, or that, like, my shoulders weren't quite broad like it's something did feel wrong like oh I'm developing wrong and I also hated my chest like just hated it I think that's partly because of the sort of physical dysphoria but way more because of society like way more because I started developing quite early and I was like no I don't want I don't want this maybe as early as like 11 which isn't oh, wow. 
Yeah, so that's like, and I think part of what like traumatized me was when I was in even elementary school, there was like one grade six girl who developed really early and like people talked about that. Like the boys would talk about it. And so I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be that noticeable. Like, I don't, you know, um, so that contributed. I think for me, it was two things. There was some genuine dysphoria going on, but there was also just how I didn't want to have attention on me and things like that for like my physical traits. So that's how it felt. You, uh, were you, uh, did you like attention when you cracked a joke? Did you like other forms of attention or were you generally shy in high school? Kind of a mix of both. Like I, I like, like I had a friend group. I wasn't particularly attention seeky, but, um, I kind, I did like it. Like I, I always have liked attention. I think that's obvious. <laughs> so sort of, yeah. <laughs> It's just like the attention that you get for the words that you say or your personality is very different than the attention that you get when someone's looking at your body. Absolutely. And oh, one yeah. has a genuine quality, another one has kind of a, a more nefarious quality to it. Yeah, exactly. I love that kind of attention. Like, oh, you liked my words or my tweet or my writing. That's fantastic. But, mm -hmm. or even just selfies, great, fine. But it, I don't feel like my body is being like ogled, you know, in mm -hmm. those kind of situations. So, yeah. So, um, for me, it, it's interesting because I did encounter changes with puberty. Um, I think part of why puberty was so traumatic for me was because the growing pains were just so intense um, and no one knew why. Well, now we know that um, because I have EDS, um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder, um, that growing pains can be extremely painful. And I was just in pain all the time and no one believed me. Um, but also, uh, I had a pretty blocky build. Um, and I do have a blocky build, but like I was not stereotypically female shaped at all. Like my hips were kind of wide, but my shoulders were also really broad, um, you know, for a girl. And I wasn't very large chested either. I was kind of a block, a rectangle. Um, and in that respect, it was it was like, okay, well, you know, I'm I'm also a little bit bigger than the other girls. Um but I'm also stronger than them too. Um, the PCOS kind of helps, you know, I had a little bit more muscle than the average girl, but I, I was I was not stereotypical in that sense. And it was weird because I, I felt like I was an other, you know, everybody else can kind of have the hourglass figure, they can fit into the smaller clothes, um, you know, they can, you know, wear a V-neck and it looks good because they can fill it out X, Y, and Z, especially when we're getting puberty. And for me, the, that was just never the issue. And, you know, I always felt more comfortable in men's clothes or the way I would get around it, I wasn't allowed to shop in the men's section because that's for men um was i at old navy they had something called the boyfriend cut shirt that it was literally just a men's shirt and women's sizing um so i would get those because it was the only shirt that actually fit me because every shirt i would rip through if i um did like this with the shoulders like i almost had to go plus size not for the waist but because of the shoulders because i i couldn't like move around in them because i was like a 2xl in women's shirts even before i started to eat just because that's how i was built that's what my frame was so for me it was very much like okay here's the stereotypically feminine you know women are supposed to be weak and submissive especially in the church and that was what all the women in my church were except for my mom um who kind of just didn't take any crap from anybody and she's also built like a truck um but you know i i don't fit that and there's no way i can fit that because i can't change my skeleton um pcos makes weight hard to manage um, well, I, I can't shrink my skeleton. Like I'm not. Well, just I, I was just going to interject that that testosterone did kind of 
affect your skeletal structure it from did. what we spoke yeah. about. Yeah, yeah so I you, grew you an could inch. change, but not well, towards the feminine. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, sorry, to correct, yeah, to correct myself there, I cannot shrink my skeleton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have, again, really big bones, like really big rib cage, um, broad shoulders, just naturally before I mucked with the hormones thing. And, and it was, that's kind of what contributed to what I thought at the time was gender dysphoria was, well, my body's not built like other women that I see around me who are all smaller framed. I was friends with a lot of dancers, so that didn't help. Um, What's a lad dancer? Is that like no, some sorry, sort of with Irish a lot person? Of, sorry, I was no, I was uh, friends with a lot of dancers. Okay, lad dancer. Yeah, let's. Yeah, well, I did know an Irish dancer though. There was actually a really weird side fact. They had an Irish dancing club at one elementary school. I don't know why. Did you participate? Are there no, videos it was of not you circulating around? School. Oh okay. no, no, okay. no. And then they had like a display in the hallway that they went and like won some championship. And I'm like, why is one elementary school have an Irish dancing club? I have so many questions. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, so um, you know, it's this feeling that my body was not what everybody else's body was. And then for me, when I found like the whole trans thing, I was like, well, maybe this is proof that I was never meant to be a girl. Right. Because my body doesn't fit that mold. But then, you know, when you get to a point of acceptance now, you're like, well, women come in all shapes and sizes. And, you know, it doesn't make them not women. Exactly. That's why self-acceptance is so important, because then you just think, well, I'm just I'm a woman and this is how I look. And that's why it was so important when I found that out, too. And I was being proud of being a woman and I didn't mind my body so much. Like, it's funny because I kind of had the opposite problem as you with the clothes, like as a young girl i only wore boys clothes but then when i started developing i couldn't they weren't cut for me anymore you know and then i had to wear these uncomfortable like it was the you know the 2000s the fabrics were like so see-through all the girls shirts like you had to layer you had to buy tank tops because it was see-through i didn't want people seeing like my bra and stuff like it was Mm -hmm. awful like i wasn't into any of that I, i tried to sort of go along with the trends and how the girls were dressing but like that just wasn't for me at all and so that's that's again why I say if this stuff was around when I was younger, I would have been like, those are signs that I'm a boy. Like, I don't want to do any of the girl things. And so, yeah. And again, it's so backward thinking that just because you don't want to wear girls clothes because you don't like how you look in them, or in your case, I mean, you didn't like that they were see-through where the trends were at. You just didn't feel comfortable showing off that much skin or whatever, um, that that automatically makes you a, boy that's kind of regressive thinking a little bit yeah yeah it's super regressive i think that's part of what bothers me the most about all of this not even i wouldn't even call it regressive it's just so rigid it's just so it it doesn't let people be individuals you know it really gets and 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 kids and even like you know or like autistic teenagers just the rigid thinking really makes them think like okay i have to fit into these boxes and it's really sad that we're presenting that to them. Like teachers are presenting that to them. Like it, it, it's just such a veneer of, of freedom and choice, but it's locking them in and it, it's very disappointing. In hmm. the female body, there's this uterus that has a very powerful function, but also like a lifelong, um, kind of debt to it like with managing the period so there's a function of creating life and attracting those who you know attracting males who want to 
cause it to create life. But then there's like the regulate, just regulating and maintaining that. And also the pain that's involved in that. And just from a, you know, as just, just try to be as innocent as possible as a man in this conversation. Like, how did you guys both like deal with that? Like, like conceptualize that, maintain that or run away uh, from, from the maintenance or the pain or the, you know, like that purpose of that central part of the, what it is to be a woman. Was that an easy thing? My least favorite organ. It's a terrible organ. It's horrible. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's tough to deal with. It was never, I mean, again, I also, I I also got my period pretty early. It was just before I was 12. So that was like horrendous to realize. Like the first, like I tried to hide it. Uh, This was between grades, between grades six and seven. Okay. It was in the summer. So, so that it's always been tough for me. It's always been like really hard. Like it's a lot of pain. Um, and also I think actually the worst part is, is like the hormone fluctuations, like throughout the cycle. Like usually when it starts, I'm like, Oh, finally it's done. I start to feel better, even though I'm like physically in pain. Um, Cause prior to that, like, I don't want to paint women as like so emotional because of that, but it's tough to deal with the massive hormonal ups and downs. Like it actually, it does affect your mood. I notice it in my tweeting. Like <laughs> I think I'm currently in like the testosterone is peaking phase. And I'm like, I feel really bad. Cause I like really reamed out this guy yesterday. And I, I know he didn't like, I know he wasn't like the worst kind of guy, but I was just so tired because of the Montreal massacre stuff. And I'm like really raging. And so I checked my like little calendar that I have and I was like, oh, (laughs) that's why. (laughs) And then just before it starts, like I can get, like I'm kind of prone to depression already and I I can start to really feel that and get pretty down. Uh, So then when it arrives, I'm like, okay, that's that's why that was. And then I start to feel better. So it's like, it's a lot to manage. So yeah, there's um, the, there's the physical part, but there's also a psychological element of your mood changing, and then how you feel about yourself or feel about the world. There is. I mean, I know maybe some women wouldn't say that. Maybe they're not paying attention. Maybe genuinely they're not affected. But I know for me, like when I started to kind of track that and, and realize, oh, this is it really affects my feelings about my body too. Uh, sometimes I'll be like, oh my god, I'm so bloated. Like, what's going on? But it definitely has an effect. And that's part of the reason I started kind of keeping tabs because I was like, I suspect this is playing a big role in my moods, especially. And I really think it is. Um, So I think I I don't remember exactly how often my periods were. Um, I started when I was 14. Um, I know it was a little bit later Um, or maybe that's on time. I don't know. But I started when I was 14 and between 14 and when about like two or three months onto testosterone. So when I was 17, I had less than 10 periods. They're wow. very irregular. Yeah, they were very irregular. I couldn't track them at all. Um, and they would either last three days or the longest one was like two weeks. Um, and frankly, I can't tell you much about how my mood was because I was just a mess anyways. <laughs> I was just a mess period. Um, and obviously I was, it was hard for me to handle because for me, they were very intense and they were very heavy. And it was really just a lot all at once. And I, again, I couldn't track them. It wasn't a monthly thing. Sometimes I would go three, four or five months. And then like, you know, other times like I would have one and then two weeks later I'd have another one. Um, it was very sporadic. Um, and you know, since 
2018, no, sorry, 2017, like early 2017. I haven't had one. Um, I've been off of hormones for six weeks. So we'll, when they come back, I'll let you know uh, how they're going. And <laughs> we'll have another talk. We'll discuss yeah. our periods. Yeah. Um, I, I suspect it will have an effect on my mood and my temperament. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, the only reason I don't know how it affected me emotionally was again i was either dissociating or i was just a hot mess already like i was just all over the place already um it, it probably did influence it though yeah yeah like the hormonal swings i would say it definitely doesn't take precedence over other stuff like if i'm just in a great mood because great stuff is going on you know it doesn't matter those hormones won't do it it just it's kind of like a background noise it's kind of like mm. your baseline is just a little different but of course other stuff in your life will have a bigger effect in my opinion mm -hmm. and um, yeah. Not to interject DBT knowledge, not that I'm proselytizing the wonders of DBT, though I am. DBT is great. Um, it's uh, acronym alert. What does that sorry, stand Dialectical for? behavioral therapy. Sorry, I was going to get to that. Um, so in dialectical behavioral therapy, there's something we talk about called vulnerability factors, which are things that are happening in the background of your life that may or may not predispose you to um, reacting to stressors. So, you know, while maybe like, you know, women being on a period or having hormonal fluctuations isn't a prompting event, it's not like the thing that's going to cause it. It's a vulnerability factor. It's kind of increasing your vulnerability to stressors causing a reaction. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, like say, if, like it could, I could be having a great day, but if something happens and I am in that hormonal time where I'm more vulnerable, that could just like destroy everything. Whereas on another day, it wouldn't. So I think that's a great way to say it. Hmm. Is there, is there, um, I, I'm sure there is, but I'm wondering, um, because being gay means that you're not going to be predisposed unless something happens to giving birth. So the reproductive aspect of this body part is different as a lesbian than it would be for a heterosexual woman. I'm just wondering, like, is there, was there like a, a period of, 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 I don't know, thinking about that or, or like, like wondering why other women are knowing, noticing a difference. Is there a difference there for that? Is it just a burden or is it like this Not a roadblock burden. or? No. And also because I would love to have a baby. I don't, I don't know how <laughs> I just, so, uh, kind of knowing that I do have that ability is, is good. I don't, I don't feel like it's a burden um and as much as it sucks like you know going back like i started so early right and later in my life it, it has become like totally regular like clockwork but when i was a kid when i was 12 13 it would be horrible it would be like a two-week affair it would be like totally regular and that was honestly almost that was pretty traumatizing as like a you know you're in school it's hard to deal with it's it's such a terrible thing so then it was i hated it for sure i think as i've grown up and and you can just sort of manage it and and i and just being in this gender discussion again it makes me understand the importance of this organ <laughs> like it makes it's it's a big factor in my health it's a big factor in you know when i got my first like vaccine for covid it kind of really messed it up and that freaked me out and made me very scared to get my second one eventually i did it was fine but like it's a sign of health oftentimes so if things get wonky you know so now i see it less as a burden nowadays I just see it as like it's a part of me and it's not necessarily a bad part of me. So um well I I know that um 
you know, within the lesbian community that, you know, it's, there's some people that are like, oh, I, you know, I could never imagine having kids, um, you know, biological kids of my own. Um, and there's others that are like, you know, I, I may be in a homosexual relationship, but I do want to have biological children. And, you know, whether that is through, you know, sperm donor or another avenue, like, you know, I hope that is something I can do someday. Um, for me, it's less about being, you know, homosexual or lesbian and more so about uh, trauma history for me. Um, that's, you know, the I, I, I don't want to do the thing that's leading to um, getting pregnant because that's, you know, it, it's hard for me on multiple levels. Um, so, you know, I'm at this point, I'm not as bothered that, you know, I have a uterus and I have all those organs because, um, you know, I didn't get to the point where I had a hysterectomy. Thank God that was on the list. I was being pushed to get one, frankly. Um, because I was on testosterone and they're like, you're going to hit the five year mark, which means you need to get a hysterectomy. Otherwise you're going to get cancer. Um, yeah. They told me that um, that's pretty standard to um, tell people. Yeah. Um, uh, that's kind of like late in the informed consent model. Like, like, Oh, and then, and then after four years, then you tell them to get it removed or cancer. Like, yeah. That just seems like a little malpractice. Yeah. Um, eh, yeah. Um, you know, and for a while, I mean, even growing up, once I learned what the female reproductive system was, um, like 13, 14, I learned what a hysterectomy was. I was, of course, me and my religious mind, I was like praying to God to give me cervical cancer so I could just have it all out. Because the idea of having that organ in there was so distressing to me. But now, I mean, it's, I, I, I just, I don't care as much. Like, I mean, I care if something is wrong. Like, I, I do hope I you know, get a regular cycle eventually because it is indicative of health. And I know that my body is going to be healthier because of it. Um, but, you know, it doesn't bother me that it's there. It's just part of me. It's it's an organ. Mm -hmm. Did did your trans identity or how did your relationship to that part change when you were a trans man or trans identified? Um, I, I definitely... There are times where it didn't bother me and there are other times where I was like, oh, my God, I need to have it out, get it out of me. Like, real men don't have this. And then, like, they don't, like, well, yeah, new duh, men don't have a cervix, like, because they're men. Um, you know, and there's part of me like that. And it, there was also kind of a, even, like, with the whole bottom dysphoria, bottom surgery thing and the hysterectomy, like, I, I told myself I'd I'd only get it out if... I would only get a hysterectomy if there was a risk of cancer or if I was getting bottom surgery. Um, but part of me wondered if, you know, like in my self-deprecating state, if this is what I deserved. You know, I, I may not be able to have children in the future, but I'm not going to take that risk. Maybe I, this sounds really dark, but maybe I deserve to be sterilized. That that's how That's how dark it was for me. And that, okay, well, if the trans identification is a vector to make this acceptable, then why not? Insurance will cover it. Mm -hmm. It's gender affirming. Mm -hmm. There is an element of like self-harm to this. Like that's what's kind of scary, especially I think when it comes to girls, like the top mm -hmm. surgery and the, the horrific TikTok where a, a young woman was sitting there holding her uterus. I, like they, I, how do they even, I didn't even know that was loud. I didn't know you were able to keep it. Like that was just horrifying. I couldn't believe what I was seeing and to, to be so proud of oh my god like that's just self-harm like there, there has to be somewhere in the back of that person's mind just like i deserve that this happened to me like and, and that's sad mm -hmm. it's sad it's not even i can't even laugh at it like 
So what, what, yeah. what's, what do you, you think? I think men self-harm and, you know, teenagers self-harm as a class, male and female. Females do it kind of differently than males typically, it seems like. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like why females are uh, predisposed to eating disorders, to cutting, uh, and then to this extreme, like tearing apart the body, getting this removed, getting that removed, stuff like that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Is it just a mental disorder and then uh, being a female just kind of slightly modifies how it's expressed or you know it's an open question but well i think with eating disorders why women are more predisposed to it than men um well two things one um i i correct me if i'm wrong it's easier for men to lose weight than it is for women to lose weight i think in general yeah um and women societally have you know for a while um been subjected to a lot of like rigid body standards you've got to be a certain size especially um correct me if i'm wrong like in the 2000s like the really thin models like that was the trend that was the craze in the 90s yeah yeah the 90s and the 2000s um and of course you know like normal girls normal women don't look like that because you know they don't need to look like that um but then when they see that and that's you know the fashion that's the fad that's what they want to look up to and then in some circumstances they're they're being told that like men have a certain way that they want to look um i I think that's an easier path for eating disorders than men because you know men it's like oh you bulk up and get big and strong or that's at least my perception of it right like generally speaking nobody's going around and applauding a super skinny guy at least at my high school the the more popular guys were the the big bulky ones who could bench the most like how much how much you bench how much you squat and um you know, so I, I feel like the societal expectation plus, you know, how it's harder for women physically to lose weight than men, that kind of predisposes them to eating disorders more. And then it just becomes an addictive cycle, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, in itself kind of chasing that lower number and it becomes dysmorphic where what you see in the mirror doesn't match what objective reality is because you could be very thin, but see somebody that's fat in the mirror and that pushes you to keep on going. And that's where, you know, this this desire to try and meet this unrealistic expectation becomes pathological and obsessive. Mm-hmm. I do wonder how much, I think there's a great deal of it that is um, like societal pressure. I do think that. I, I just do wonder to what extent. I think regardless, women seem to have a more tendency to like uh, self-harm in, in other ways, not just eating disorder. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, so I, I I have no idea. I do wonder how much of that is from outside and how much of that is from inside. Because I've I've felt those ways too. I never had an eating disorder, but in terms of just being super duper stressed, like there's this desire to take it out on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. Like I don't know if that's messaging we're getting from society. Part of me, I, I'm not too much of like I don't I don't usually put much stock in kind of social construction stuff. I know it's there, but I'm more. I'm more, I think a lot of things are rooted in biology, like a lot more than we give credit to personally. 
but I don't know where I really fall on that. It must be somewhere in the middle, you know, mm. nature, nurture. But I think a lot more than we think today is due to just nature than necessarily nurture or society. And, and yeah, that's just my take on that. Mm -hmm. There, There's a, one of the interesting, like, areas of the gray zone that's really interesting is between pride and acceptance and then i guess gluttony in 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 the form of uh, gluttony lust you know like all these extensions or embracing of a hedonic self-centered you go girl kind of thing where we're kind of our society seems to go back and forth, but we we're kind of like pushing the fat phobia, healthy at any size kind of thing. And, uh, you know, accept yourself, no gender standards at all. You wear whatever you want. Your, your woman is a woman and a man is a man. And, and, but there's these edge cases and the homosexual, I think is a, is a, is an edge case. You guys are kind of, I'm sorry. No, you guys, the homosexual is kind of outside of the standard, typical Darwinianly inv uh, evolved and then culturally evolved standard of what normal is. And it's the true. trajectory of the homosexual is, you guess, uh, you guess, the homosexual has to. Uh, I don't even like speaking this way, but like, like realizing that you're not like other people is uh, it's a stressful thing and what society's tried to do in order to embrace and accept and uh, mitigate the harms and the self-harms and this uh, feeling of outsiderness is to go completely the opposite way to full-on pride and now you have a bunch of people electing to be gay because it's the cool thing to do electing yeah. to be fat not managing their health because it's the cool thing to do so we have to it's a it's a tug of war and so the the story, the personal stories, and I hope that you know, my work can kind of give a place for us to navigate how much acceptance is the proper amount and how much stress do we need to undergo? How much hardship do we actually and suffering do, does a human being need to go through in order to be a healthy, functioning, wise and productive member of society? So, yeah. I think that's a great project to be undertaking. I think that's really important nowadays because we have gone too far in terms of how much acceptance do we need. Like, I, I you know, I, we need a lot, of course, but I, I think people just need to be accepted and left alone, not accepted and celebrated and pushed. And, you know, I think kind of a good example of this is my partner and I are going to take her mom for her 60th birthday to a Catholic church nearby in Canmore. That's like beautifully nestled in the mountains. It seems like a beautiful church. It seems awesome. We're excited to go. We don't go to church regularly, but like we both have Catholic backgrounds. You know, we were looking at their website, looking at the photos and all this. And we're like, and uh, she's like, oh my God, we, wouldn't it be great to get married there? Right. Hmm. And so we're scrolling down their site. I was like, of course, they're not going to marry us. Like, and of course, on the site, it says, you know, click here to sign up for a marriage. And it has, you know, bride's name, groom's name. And I said, like, look, if they weren't standing, you know, in their tradition, if they weren't like trying to at least, because we were a little bit of a side note, we were in a different church a couple months ago that was Unitarian that had just pride flags everywhere. And I was like, Unitarians. Yeah. Like, I, I, I thought that the building was beautiful. It, it had a nice feeling, but I honestly felt bad to see all those pride flags one flag whatever but it was just everywhere the gender neutral toilets it was all just i was like i don't feel good in here so anyway back to this church i was telling her like the reason we are sort of excited to go is because it's kind of rooted in tradition we're gonna be fine there we can go there we can probably even hold hands there 
and we'll be fine. We just can't get married there. <laughs> and I don't think we should demand that. So I, in my thinking, that's the kind of acceptance I want. This, this is a religion that doesn't think we should get married, but if we can go there and if we can be together and maybe even obviously so, and that's okay, that's all I would really ask for. You know, I wouldn't go in there and, and, and sue them because they won't give us perform a religious ceremony when it's a civil thing that we want, right? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I agree. So I was like, oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, um, I can echo that um, kind of tolerance and neutrality is all I ever wanted. I never wanted people mm -hmm. to celebrate me and to fly the pride flags everywhere. I wanted to be in a relationship with another woman and not have to gender bend it to keep myself safe. I want to be able to say my girlfriend and I and no one bats an eye. Yeah. No, or, like no comment. It's or just throws it, you a party or like. Yeah. At know? the same time, I don't like, you know, then it became like before I came out as trans, when I came out as trans, um, you know, it was it was a whole event at my school, um, like with like the two or three people that were part of GSA and band and so on. Most people were just like really confused. They had no idea what was going on. They're like, yeah, we'll just let Casey do what Casey does. Um, but then there were a couple people when they found out originally when I was um, a lesbian, they were just like, you're a lesbian. That's amazing. Well, Welcome to the club. Oh, this is so exciting. We got another one. Um, because at the time I was a member of uh, Big, which is Believers in the Gospel, like I was part of the Gospel Club. Um, and then I joined, I left Big and joined GSA, Gay Straight Alliance. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny flipping from one to the other. Um, but then, you know, when I, I came out as trans, I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like we got another one. And, you know, like, oh, you're so happy. You're so brave. Like, good for you. And they would like celebrate me at every chance. And it was just so cringy. I, I, I didn't yeah. like the attention. Like I just, all I ever wanted, even in transition was, I, I just want to like, you know, go to the other side and assimilate and no one says anything and I could just live my life. And like, it's, it's just neutral. Like it just is. And, you know, I want to be in a relationship with a woman and I don't have to gender bend it. And it just is like, no one reacts. It's it, like, yeah. it evokes the same reaction as saying, well, my boyfriend and I, and people just like, are like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were saying earlier, like, sure. I'll say I, I like attention in certain ways, but not for that. Not for that. Like, even when I was scared to come out, so this was like 2005, Part of me was scared for bad reactions, but part of me was also scared to have just attention just on that, just as being known as a lesbian, even in like a good or neutral way. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want that. So yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> That's the point. What about finding a partner then, Eva, once you accepted yourself as this way? Like what, what about navigating that field, so to speak? Well, my is story rocky, is- easy? My story is unique. Uh, so after I came out, I was like, oh, I'll just wait till university, whatever. I'll find someone at university. I'm not going to find someone here in this Catholic high school. And a couple months later, I got a girlfriend and we're still together. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> that yeah. was easy. Did you guys meet over brunch? Where'd you meet her? Do you mind? I don't want to dox you. <laughs> Online. Oh, oh okay. wow. <laughs> this is a website called Nexopia. <laughs> Nexopia. It was just like a, one of those early 2000s, like proto social network things. Oh, and wow. I, I had just changed my orientation to homosexual. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I got some weird messages from girls. I, I didn't like any of them. But then she reached out and said something about the L word, I think. And we talked for a little bit and then we met. And then we ended up going to the same school. And yeah. <laughs> We went to the mountains together today, so. <laughs> Did you find anything in the mountains? 
treasure? Um, just a nice day. <laughs> just nice. Did feelings. you make your dog wear shoes? No, because it's it's not too cold today. So okay. it, it was just like zero degrees. So we oh, were just good. zero Cel- degrees Celsius. <laughs> just freezing. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, she can she can handle that. So no, I, I can't say it was like a struggle for like a few months. It was a struggle to be like, oh my god, I'm never gonna find someone. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but now it's okay. So, uh, give me a couple years, and it, you know it's kind of like with the last thing. Like I, I need to wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had one mini relationship, um, and that was before like I transitioned, um, and that was with a girl. We were both like from religious backgrounds. Well, actually, she was like not super religious, but she had some friends that were trying to convert her, and she would like go to church and so on. And then me, who's like this self-loathing lesbian, that we're you know together and we're talking and we're talking about how we love each other, while at the same time I'm like homosexuality is a sin, <laughs> we need to repent. And I'm like, how did she tolerate me? Um, and that lasted for a few months, and then eventually, like we both like she kind of was just like, I'm done with this. Like, you know, I, I started, I was like, oh, I'm trans, I'm coming out. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to cut myself off from this and move on. Um, and ironically now enough, I'm not the religious one. She went to a Christian college. Now she's married and has kids. Oh, you were her biphase. I was. Hmm. And now she's converted, which is funny because that's kind of what I was hoping for because I was a little uh, proselytizing um child because that's what our youth pastor was telling us to do you know like you know go out and preach the gospel preach it to your peers and most people hated me for it and i kind of got the hint but it's funny because again i'm in a gay relationship and you know i'm i you know i liked her and so on but i'm like yes homosexuality is a sin and like you need to you need to repent Mm. and then she repented and she did everything i was i was i was the heathen you were too effective at preaching. I was. And then like a couple years later, I was, you know, and we were kind of like really shitty towards each other after that because we were both very depressed. We were both, we were too mentally ill kids just trying to work it out. But she's like, thank you for helping me see the light. And I'm like, thank <laughs> Oh no. Do you think she's like, straight like actually gen- or just bi or like i hope she's not well, forcing I, herself i think she is bi because we talked okay. about that but at the same time she i also had like a little bit of um bi phobia because i was scared i was like oh she's gonna leave me for a guy just watch this but then also like after i came out as trans she was like well maybe this you know then you're the first girl i've really had a crush on so maybe this just means i'm straight because you were actually a guy which then, oh you know. weird <laughs> Weird. And then she broke up with me because there was some, we were orchestra kids too. She played the bass and I, well, I played the trumpet. So we like had like the same class two days a week. And well, she met some guy that played the cello and he was meme king. So I, I lost to meme king. Oh. Cello kid, meme king, because they sat close together in orchestra. Wait, what's a meme king? Ming, uh, meme king like he was a king of memes he he really? declared himself the king of memes yes oh yeah he was one yeah. of those bros okay. like 16 okay so yeah, yeah i know i know i, I went to youth group <laughs> I, I remember i mean we didn't have memes back then but there was the couple guys who would come up with the little phrase that every everybody has to say over and over yeah, yeah the generators of the joke mm-hmm. are you playing the trumpet again um on and off yes so um i went to music school for a year um because i thought i was going to be an orchestral trumpet player um and then i was just completely traumatized um because i was just burnt out i mean practicing four hours a day every day plus two hours of ensembles plus studio plus lessons um and having an abusive teacher 
um, that just kind of ruined it for me. I was just burnt out by the end of the year. Um, and I didn't play it for three years and then I just picked it up recently. Like I, cause I was, I was ready to sell the horns. I was like ready to let go. And then because I was ready to let go, I, I somehow gained the ability to play without like really freaking out, which was really cool. Cause before mm -hmm. I would try and play and I would just like tense up and clam up and my throat would close up. And like, I just, I couldn't do it for the life of me. I, you know, cause when your when your throat kind of feels like it's clamping in on itself, it's hard to breathe and mm -hmm. play the instrument that requires air, but that's gone now. I, Good. Yeah. Cause I saw some tweets cause you said that in your first interview and I thought, oh, that's, that's sad that you don't play anymore. But then yeah. I saw you say it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm slowly getting my trumpet mojo back. So yeah. I, that's really cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're in we're in each other's Twitter circles, so you know. Yeah, we true. See. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to do a Twitter poll about Twitter circles, and this is totally geeky, hyper online stuff for anybody listening in. Like Twitter now is a function where you can select people to be in your in your. It's just only the people that are in this elect group can see mm -hmm. these elect tweets and, and chosen, respond to them. Yeah. yeah, the chosen, and I'm a part of them, but they're all women who have included me in these groups. <laughs> really? Like, do men have these groups? Are there oh, any yeah. men? Women do tend to use them more. Definitely. That's what I've noticed. Because I, I was going to set one up. I'm like, I can't, ch I can't, ch no, I can't choose. I'm not a cult leader. I'm not choosing. I'm not doing this. I'm not <laughs> you doing <have> this. To. <laughs> well, the other thing too, is that, I mean, people don't know if you've included or not included them in your Twitter circle. And from what I know, if you're a member of somebody's circle, you can't just click and see who all is on the list, right? You can't. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, hmm. I mean, I've, I've included people for me. I've, I'm utilizing the Twitter circle now because there was a period of time where I was moderately oversharing. I mean, there were some things that I would share and so on. Um, yeah. I was in my feels um, and mm -hmm. I kind of shut everything down because a family member found my page um, and was just like, oh my God, what are is you that, doing? Is that better? Yeah. Is that better now? Because I still... Like you can talk about this now? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. Like she, we were talking about hair loss and I was kind of griping about it. And she's like, oh, you could take Rogaine and stuff. And um, I was like, well, I don't want to take Rogaine because I explained like the whole med thing. Like Rogaine is minoxidil, which started out as an antihypertensive that you would take orally in a pill. And I don't want to mess with that and, you know, all that stuff. So, of course, she had no idea about my online stuff. And she typed in detransitioner hair loss <laughs> into YouTube. Oh, into YouTube even. Of yeah. course, of course, that's gonna. Be and who was the first hit? You, <laughs> me. And she, well, yeah, you? I think like you well, I, it was my video with you. Oh, okay, that was oh, the no. first one. And then she saw the short, and she was like, "Really, testosterone and libido? That's what you're talking about?" I'm like, "God, don't tell me you watched the clip." No. She's like, why the hell are you talking about that? And I'm like, oh. it was a clip part of two hours. And she's like, you talked to somebody for two hours. Who all have you talked to? Like, there's all these videos of people talking about you and showing your hairline. What the hell did you do? <laughs> Wow, what a, what a thing to discover, especially yeah. the libido clip. So you kind of went into that. So. I can take that down, but I guess the damage is done. Well, it's it's done. to her psyche, at least. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm so it's sorry. It's okay. It, um, yeah, I'm, at least it, okay, it could have been worse. At least she didn't see me on Tucker Carlson. I mean, I didn't go on Tucker Carlson. My clip went on Tucker Carlson, but I was thinking when I found out that that, like, Wait, is she, uh, she, does she suffer from Tuckerphobia? 
Um, very much so. She, okay. um, or sorry, um, he, I don't want to misgender Tucker. He is an evil, evil man. Um, second evil to Orange Man. Oh, oh, okay. I was, I was going to call it Tucker Derangement Syndrome. I was just about to say, so. TDS. Yeah, um, Tucker is uh, pure evil. TNT. He's, okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, we, we uh, if we go any further with this particular story, I think we're going to accidentally dox this person. So I want to just kind of like okay. give, you, give you room. <laughs> but but the question was, how how is that relation? But how is it? I, I want to explore what is proper to put online for both of you guys. We all have different <laughs> levels, you know, and navigating that is a skill. So how do you guys know? Where's the filter? Because... Eva, you post a selfie every day and nothing has every, a filter every. on it. No, every day. Several pictures every day. <laughs> nothing has a filter on it, but you do have a filter somewhere. Where, where do you draw the line and how did you learn to draw that? Well, I mean, I use lightly applied Instagram filters. You do? Oh, <laughs> yeah. they're very artful. Well, I don't tell everybody sometimes. your secret. Don't sometimes. Tell sometimes. I like lower the intensity. Just uh, Anyway, in terms of other types of filters, um, I definitely have them. I don't know if I have a, I share a lot. Um, I'm trying to kind of cut, like, like reel that in a little bit as my account grows to just not, I don't know, I'm trying to curate a little bit more. I used to not really care at all. Um, I used to have a pretty strict filter kind of about my relationship uh, just because I didn't want to put any of my online, you know, stuff on her. Um, then I wrote a piece that got published uh, about like the transition of Calgary Pride. It had a ton of pictures of us, so that's, that ship has sailed, like I think. But I still keep that more private, uh, my family. I, I really try, I don't care what's out there about me necessarily, but I try to keep like relationships private because I don't want any of that to come back to like haunt anyone. That's kind of my main concern. I've told all my sisters like, you can disavow me. Like you can just say, I hate, like she's the black sheep, like I hate her. Like, How many sisters? <laughs> you have like seven sisters or something? I have three. And okay. so one is a psychologist and two are in education. So these are like terrible fields to be in to have a sister like me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't, I don't think my profile is anywhere near high enough to kind of come back on them. But I have told them like, look, you, you can say, and, and they're very lucky in their fields. They're not too impacted by a lot of the gender stuff, but a little bit. So yeah, other than that, I share pretty freely. Like, I don't really, I don't really hide. I think what you see is what you get. Like, I'm not trying to show like a, of course, everybody's showing like a sanitized life. I'm not putting out there like my struggles and my difficulties or whatever, but not mm. because I'm trying to pretend, but just because I don't, I don't want to be crying on the internet to be to strangers. Like, so that's kind of how I approach it. Um, so I'm still actively developing that filter. Um, yeah. Like I kind of, I had to have basically like a confrontation, which there was ups and downs to that. But basically it was like, it, you know, after it was like, okay, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. And I think what you're doing is great, but you can't treat this like a diary. You need to develop some boundaries. And ironically enough, in group therapy, we talk about boundaries. That was like the first thing on the first day they were doing a segment on boundaries. And I'm like, I, you know, mm. of course that you know, go figure, like I start on the day that they start the boundary unit and then like the, a bunch of other units. Um, you know, so for me, obviously there's deeply personal things about my story that I've shared and they're kind of out there, but they're, they're kind of integral to my story, you know, like the um, trauma history and so on, because it's like, I had all these things and an LPC, the licensed professional counselor, like the therapist just ignored them. She was like, oh, that's fine. You know, that that's pretty important in my story. Mm -hmm. um, but trying to reel back um, 
acting impulsively on my emotions in the moment, which is very hard for me to do. I can go from zero to 100 very quickly. Um, and mm. I can feel things very intensely. And sometimes I do see things. Do you do that, that when you're alone or do you do that with other people? Because I, I've, I've only spoken to you tonight and a couple uh, a couple weeks ago. And mm -hmm. in discussion with you one-on-one, -on -one, you do not exhibit a, you know, like a an up-down personality so does it generally happen these mood swings or this intensity when you're alone in your own head typically yes um which then gets reflected it would get reflected previously on twitter because i'm i would chose that kind of as an outlet and so on um you know so for me it's um I, I know how to keep myself safe. I know what appropriate boundaries are to put up. Like, I'm not going to go into overly personal things. I'm not going to gripe and cry about how horrible I think my life is and how horrible I think I am. Um, like I would previously, um, you know, I might talk about like struggles and, you know, this is the reality of things. I mean, you know, you, you deal with spells and down spells and stuff, but I'm, I'm going to try and, you know, not get down to the dregs like some accounts do. Um, where everything is just like, I'm in pain, I'm hurting so much, you know, and just kind of word mm -hmm. vomit of um, how they feel, which is fine. They, they can do that. They're anonymous accounts, but I'm not. And I, I have mm -hmm. people listening to me and I have a growing following. And, you know, I, th I think I need to try and represent my message a little bit more professionally and also to protect myself. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the key is knowing your message as you sort of get a following, you really have to know why you're there. Like, you know, what you're trying to say, what you want to communicate to people. And then I think that can act as like a filter. You know, if you feel like posting something and then you think, well, this isn't really the message I'm trying to share, yeah. then I think that can help. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, something that I did for a few days and something I'm continuing to apply. And I mean, yeah, it, again, it, it it is deeply personal to be talking about some of the things that I talk about, but it's it's relevant. Um, and also, I, I hope to help destigmatize some of these things as well. You know, like homophobia is still a very real thing. This happened five, six years ago. Um, and it still plays a role in family dynamics to this day. Mm -hmm. um, and same thing with like the um, childhood abuse. I, you know, a lot of kids, unfortunately, are abused, but nobody talks about it because there's a stigma. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I'm not saying I'm going to get into it, but, you know, it's a common occurrence and I'd be willing to bet a lot more kids and young adults that went through transition have this history similar to mine than we realize. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, those are personal things, but I'm willing to talk about them because they're relevant. But both of you, and so there's this preeminent Canadian psychologist named Jordan B. Peterson. I never know what the B stands for, but he's going, he's going on a tear right now about anonymous accounts. He thinks they're yeah, a bunch of cowardly is. demons. I don't know why he's going off on this, but whatever. He does his thing. But all three of us chose not to be anonymous. Why? Um... So first I was, 
or I mean, I was using my face um, just because not not because I felt like I had to hide just because I was kind of coming into Twitter and I just didn't really know what I should do. Then I lost access to that account because of Jonathan Yaniv, Jessica Yaniv. Uh, <laughs> Wax my balls, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get suspended, but it was like a stupid glitch because Twitter just glitches all the time. So I was out of my account for like a week and I got tired of it and I just started a new one and I was like, you know, screw it. I'm going to just go and use my name. Um, so screw it. So you're just like four sheets to the wind kind of thing. I think that's a drunk but, reference, but you were just like, you just yeah. like. Yeah, just because then the I really world. decided that I want to stay in this conversation and I want to be a part of it and I want to do it as myself. Why? Um, Why this conversation? You could have been talking about battle bots or something else, right? Why because, this one? Why, why put your reputation on the line to speak to this? I don't know that I thought about it a lot at the time. It just seemed important. It just was something I had found that a lot of people didn't know about that was getting worse and worse. I mean, that was just that was three, that was three years ago. Um, so I just thought, and in terms of not being anonymous, I, I don't see it as sure. There's like maybe a bit of bravery there, but I'm lucky. I, I know I am. I know other people would risk a lot more than I did because I'm self-employed and I, it, it still causes some trepidation. Like I recently was, was signing a new contract with a company, like a really large company. And I thought, oh God, like, are they going to Google me? But even if they did, I think I'm in a good enough position that you know, my name is not on the stuff, right? Yeah. So I'm sort of banking on that. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm lucky. And I know I know that there are people who are scared and for good reason. So um, for me, uh, well, two things. One, again, I didn't really expect anything to gain traction. I was literally on Twitter for three days, three or four days. It was not even a full week. And I was like, are you a 20K just, now followers? Um, I am at 18.9k. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So well done. Um, yeah, but I'm 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 approaching. Um you know, it steadily climbs. Uh but you but didn't frankly, think you didn't think this wasn't like a branding exercise. You just what you opened Twitter, you're like, I'm gonna make videos, or you were doing well, YouTube and you're like, Well, I need Twitter. Um well the YouTube came after the Twitter. Um, which I'm, I kind of just like put a random video with like low effort out. It gets like 10,000 views. Even like my video of I'm detransitioning, my mom looked at it and she's like over a hundred thousand views. What did you do? Like who yeah. did you buy? Wow. And I'm like, she, it, I think the algorithm loves Casey. There she's, she, Casey's got the, like magic. The algorithm just like tendrils all up in you. That's like, crazy. Over. I, I didn't I know that. I think it's 127,000 views. Wow, I had no idea. That's impressive. And then I think the second one I did where it was like a rant in the parking lot, literally I was sitting in a parking lot with like really bad audio quality and it was titled, We're Sick and They're Taking Advantage of Us, a rant where I just kind of like got mad and ranted about stuff that got over 50,000 views. Wow. So, and again, like the last one, the update, like I filmed on a potato camera in this setup and it got, it's well over 10,000 at this point without me even trying. 12K, yeah. 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 Well, um, I mean, it's it's too early in what you're doing, Casey, to get into the weeds with marketing and thinking about your audience and stuff. Just be aware that that's a conversation we can have at some at some point and mm -hmm. stuff. But it, 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 you're, it's what you're doing at this point in history, at this point in time, is purely grassroots, purely the audience is reacting to you for some magical reason. You don't really need to think about why. Just think about... 
I mean, I just, just be aware of it. So with yeah. that, I mean, you didn't finish your story, but like, how do you, how have you been dealing with the attention? Not just like the TRA blow up, but now you have fans or you have followers or. Yeah. It's what? devotees. It's, yeah. It's really weird. Uh, frankly, and to kind of quickly also answer the question as to why I stayed online. Um, I didn't care what happened. I didn't care if my reputation was ruined or not um, because of the place that I was in when I started all of this. Um, Because the video went viral in early October and by early November, I was debating whether or not I needed to go back inpatient, Um, which was in part because the online stuff, but also realizing that you really screwed up your life is not like a great epiphany. Plus the fall seasonal affective disorder, I always get super depressed at the fall. So all of that, um, yeah, sad. Um, you know, I'm doing a lot better now. I've gotten help and I, you know, all that stuff. But frankly, at the time, I didn't care what happened. Um, and now I've stayed because people are actually listening to me. Reasonable people are actually listening to me. Um, and even clinicians, like there's people that are willing to have a conversation about this. Yes. And I've had enough people, intelligent people that I look up to saying, you know, you people will listen if you talk and they mm-hmm. are listening and you need to keep talking because mm-hmm. this needs to happen. And that's that's what's kept me going. Um, you know, KC so, Kevin Costner. If you if you build it, they will come. Like you're like the what's that movie? You guys remember the Karen, uh, Kevin Costner? Uh, field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. You're like the D trans Field of Dreams. This is way <laughs> before your time, isn't it, KC? I don't even know if I've seen it. <laughs> I yeah, I haven't. When you said Kevin Costner, I'm like, this is some reference I am not gonna get. Oh no! At least I got the reference. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. But you're it, in. But it's, yeah, it's it's interesting too because again, I'm not a trail. I'm not. I didn't view myself as a trailblazer. You know, the the trailblazers in this movement are, you know, some of the detransitioners that came before me, um, like Chloe Cole and especially Helena. You know, she was what she was doing this in like 2020, 2019, 2018, 2018. Yeah, yeah she was really early on in all of this stuff. You know, so they're kind of the trailblazers. It's it's kind of like I, I feel like maybe. Maybe this is a bad appraisal of this. I'm part of like the second wave. Oh no! no. Oh, there could be waves. Oh gosh! I'm not a fan of the third. third. I know am I still in the first happen. wave? I don't know. I know that you maybe weren't among the first, but I just feel like how long this might drag out. I feel like you're still going to be one of the first major ones. Like I, I like looking back, it might it might seem like that. In my opinion. Yeah, it, it's um, it's it's hard to gauge that from a historical point of view, but the yeah. just bringing up this topic very briefly, there's a high burnout rate for telling these stories, and Helena and Sinead, just to name a couple of the women, and I can name some men, but I'm not going to make a list. It, they put so much out there that they need to do a lot of self care, and they duck out, and then magically somebody else kind of takes the kind of takes the spotlight so your spotlight is is a part of like uh, yeah a a bunch of waves of attention like people have been bouncing on the waterbed and you got in at a certain point and and you're kind of launching you're you're kind of riding this wave so yeah um i the the thing that keeps me going because i i don't like attention just for the sake of attention i mean it's nice to have people telling me that like they like Mm. the things that i'm saying because you know they're like they, they're good things and we yeah. like the words that you're saying because they sound intelligent that's that's nice for the ego um which is not very strong with me but ultimately the thing 
something that keeps me going is that if we talk about this enough, maybe the clinical standards will change. I don't want this to happen to anybody else. You know, and I, again, I'm not demonizing people. I'm saying I didn't receive the care I needed. I received, received something else that has fundamentally changed my life. You know, it's made it harder. And, you know, I, it shouldn't have to be this way. And mm-hmm. for some reason, people listen to me. And now I have this big following and it's growing. And maybe, you know, if and there was one person that is also in the space now that said that, like, I messaged them when they went viral and, um, I was like, I'm just, you know, welcome to the viral club. I went viral a few weeks ago. Here's a couple pointers that no one said to me, you know, Mm. just, you know, watch out for these people. And they said, honestly, your video was what made me speak out. That's awesome. And I was just like, what? Like I influenced it. And they were like, yeah, there's, there's quite a few people that are going to start being vocal, even if it's on an anonymous account because of that video and because of the reaction, because you stayed. Yeah. Um, so that that's what keeps me going really and wow. you know i don't i i don't want to sound egotistical i want to grow my following but i i, I want people to talk about this mm-hmm. and it's not from a place of hate this is from a place of we are not serving this community of people with these problems the best that we can they need better care we we deserve better care than this mm-hmm. if it's for the right reasons there's no there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a bigger platform you know if it's if it's to share things like back I think in September I lost access to my account because of stupid media policy violation. It sucked, and I, but I always thought, well, I could just come back, make a new account. But I was just really sad about not being able to share things, not being able to share my friends' articles or my friends' posts, like just to give it like a wider kind of view. Like that, I was like, damn, that really sucks. Like I'm gonna be useless now. Like, <laughs> so there's a benefit to it. Yeah. Yeah, and in dialectical behavioral therapy, there's like four different goals. Um, like in treatment. So the first goal is stay alive. Like they want to keep you alive. Pretty important. Second goal is to keep you in therapy um, to help you cope enough so that you continue to return to treatment. Third goal is um, to get you back into the occupational vocational environment. So get you back to your job and like being able to sustain yourself. And the fourth goal is building a life worth living. You know, what's your why? What's your thing that you want to do? What is your, what, what are your hopes and dreams? And for me, this, this is kind of part of the life worth living. And it kind of just happened for me. I didn't yeah. try. It just happened. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, it's something I feel passionate about. It's something that people are listening to me about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it, it, it's really powerful for me. It's been keeping me going these past few weeks. And I think it's going to keep me going because, you know, we might have the potential. I might have the potential to contribute to change for the better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Finding meaning is so important. Um, I think when when Shapeshifter started to kind of post videos, I was really, really worried because some of those early videos were a bit scary. Like, oh my goodness, this person is really dark right now. Like, like, but I think he has kind of come to a place where he might burn out soon. But, but, but I, you know, people, enough people said, hey, your story really means a lot to me that I think that helped turn things around. Because in the beginning, I was a little bit like, you know, I, I hope people reach out to this person because he doesn't seem to be in like the best place. Hmm. you know but then finding meaning helped yeah it's it's such personal work i mean casey i just the i I spoke with uh posy uh parker posy posy parker gosh darn it kjk uh kelly j keen earlier today i won't ruin that interview towards the end she just tells this beautiful story like a finding purpose and finding meaning and 
and and just what you were saying right now, Casey, about finding purpose, finding meaning, it's very just just like pinnacle beauty. It's like peak beauty. Just watching people like engage with the world and things just click, you know. And like you know, being a person who's chased after that and you get it for a little bit, you know, and being able to be participant and giving that or participating and helping other people and facilitating other people do that. I just think it's just so just righteous in the, in the good way. I, I think even righteousness is a bad word nowadays, but I mean, it and just like, it's just such a, just a wonderful unlocking of, of the human potential and and yeah there, there's a dragon that you're slaying and we deal with the dragon we talk about the, the the theories and we talk about the therapies and stuff but it's just just that human element is just so beautiful i just have yeah. to that on that. well you asked earlier like why this one why not some other thing well just it just felt right it just felt like there was a way to make a difference here and to have a purpose you talked to my friend shannon boshi uh and he, and he talked really nicely about that he was like, this feels right. This feels like what I should be pursuing. And yeah, at a certain point, you can't even put that into words anymore. But, you know, you mentioned like like people, it's the people involved in this. I think that kind of made me stay and made me pick it as like, this is the thing. Um, because I was saying the other day to a friend of mine, like, you know, what am I doing this for? If not like the people that I've grown to care about, of course, wider society, of course, hoping other people don't go down this path, of course, helping, but there's only so much nobleness I think a person has without it becoming more personal. Like, okay, now I have this connection and this community here that I want to stay in this fight because there's these awesome people alongside me, you know? And I think once you have that, that helps you keep going and, and chase that kind of higher noble intention of like helping the world. Hmm. Because if I didn't have those connections, if I didn't meet the friends that I've met, I think it would have been hard to stay in this, even knowing how important it is. So that's, that's huge for me personally hmm. we, we talked about attention just now i want to broach the topic we, we, we've spoken about the uterus we've spoken about the breasts we've spoken about the attention and we haven't asked eva about her selfie addiction well, maybe i'll save that for later but depression eva you said that you're predisposed to depression and casey you, you've been struggling with this too i wonder if you guys want to talk about that just kind of remove from the gender topic at all and like how, how have your struggles gone and how you guys are managing that? I'll go first. Uh, yeah, sure. Cause you've been going first. Um, so my depression had like a pretty clear source, a screwed up childhood. Yeah. I'm going to be depressed. Um, I've been dealing with it probably since like eight or nine, uh, pretty moderate to severe. And I, I've had some moments of reprieve over the past couple of years, uh, but generally speaking, it's kind of framed how I view the world. Um, along with, you know, a mix of other conditions and other problems. Um, it It's kind of interesting because, you know, when you're when you're depressed for so long, you forget what normal feels like. So now that I'm, you know, healing and starting to do things, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I can kick ass. I could take on anything. And then I'm like, wait, is this how normal people feel? It, it kind of, it warps what you think normal for everybody else looks like in a sense hmm. and it's just hard because it feels like you're slogging through all this mud yeah. all the time and you you just 
it's also difficult because, you know, one of the symptoms of depression is hopelessness and, you know, not wanting to do anything because you don't see the point. But then when you have a higher functioning brain and you look at the world and you go, oh, my God, everything's horrible. It's on fire because I can see all of these problems and no one want like, you know, there's some people that want to fix it, but everybody's just being an asshole and it's all terrible. That, you know, compounded with clinical depression, you know, already feeling hopeless makes you feel more hopeless. Hmm. So it's just a vicious cycle and it just builds on each other. And that's something I have to guard against. And that took me a long time to realize that that was something I had to guard against. How, how do you keep yourself from that pit? What are the guardrails for you? Um, for, I mean, I'm, I'm still working on keeping myself out of the pit. But uh, for me, it is being um, terribly optimistic. There are some assumptions, baseline assumptions that I try and operate under. And this is like a DBT thing as well. Um, you know, assuming that everybody is doing the best that they can. I know it's a really hard assumption and, you know, also assuming that nobody has um, malintent unless you can prove that they have malintent. Um, so like kind of how I've accepted with what has happened to me with like the whole gender care thing, you know, people are like, oh, you know, my, my therapist had it out to get me and so on. I am operating under the pretense that they believe they were doing the best thing for me at the time. Even if it looks obvious that it wasn't, um, and that they believe they are doing the right thing now. And I can't fault somebody for thinking and believing that they're doing the right thing. And for me, that makes it, it's hard to accept that. It, well, it's, it, it's, it, it's still hard to process because you can say something's morally right or wrong or there definitely was harm done. But it's easier for me to accept that, you know, it, it's not like they were trying to hurt me. It's not like... Um, you know, the world is trying to be screwed up. It's just people are doing the best yeah. that they can. And sometimes they screw up, but sometimes they screw up big time. On a mass yeah. scale. So, so love yeah. your friends, but love your enemies even more. Like rid the world of enemies. Um, essentially, yes. Um, I, 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 this is a saying that's been said before, but for me, this is especially true because I just feel everything so intensely. Mm. Um, for me, um, hatred is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's not going to serve me if I just feel hatred and resentment towards all these people, even if, even if it is, you know, something that quote, um, fits the facts. Like I have a reason to feel mad, you know, like you did this thing to me and it yeah. was wrong and I'm mad about it because now I can't fix it. You know, I, that can be valid and that emotion isn't serving me. You know, so it, it, it really took a lot of work in myself to go okay. realize that, you know, the, these emotions are valid. I, I have a good reason to feel these emotions and I can move past them. Good they God. can pass. You're 22? Yes. Oh my God. It's going to get easier. I mean, life's going to get shittier, but that at least is going to be yeah. easier. Yeah. man. Dialectical <laughs> behavioral therapy. Yeah. It seems amazing. I wish I sounded like that at 22. <laughs> Oh man, well, I'm glad I wasn't recorded at 22. I'm glad I didn't get it. Me too. Good God. It's, yeah. it's weird because, again, this is part of like warped sense of self. I feel immature, honestly. You well, know, you're a and kid. Maybe, well, I can yeah, see it. yeah I'm, a, I'm a kid. Um, and, and there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. Um, you know, so when people go, oh, you're so smart. Oh, you sound like so <laughs> yeah, yeah. studious and so on. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. They told me that. Like I was in the gift. I was in the smart kids club in school, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm just it's, saying it's managing the intensity 
of emotions of anger and love and positive and negative. Like when I was 22, 20, 19 to 24, maybe I was just a total, I was just a total mess. I was just manic depressive insane and over time thanks to whatever happened um i was able to like not be possessed by that emotion not be possessed by that anger not like like spend i would get mad at somebody for some reason and then i just spend every time i took a shower i'd just be yelling at them in my head and and like i'd lay in bed and like i'd yell at myself i'd devour myself i remember this laying in bed just devouring myself not being able to shut that off so by grace and by a process of maturity I'm just glad. So I, I was just trying to say that I, I've been there and it's just so intense just to remember that that feeling that I don't have anymore for, for either because I'm there's less testosterone in my system. Probably. <laughs> it's the toxic testosterone. You need to work it out of your body. Oh, James God. Cameron said so. James Cameron <laughs> doesn't like testosterone. Oh my God. Did he really say that? Yeah. The it was on the Terminator and Aliens. He, he was like testosterone is a toxin that you need to uh, that men need to work out of their bodies. I'm so tired of that. Like, okay, so uh, the Montreal massacre anniversary happened, right? And and people are twisting yeah. it into kind of like a male hatred of women, toxic masculinity. And yes, that was a male who hated women. He was a psychopath. It, 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 to me, it's like a different conversation. It's like, hmm. yes, it's. I feel like that's such an extreme thing isn't reflective of like the male female relationship in my opinion. Like I, there's, there's of course there's plenty of opinions to have about this, but like then we lose focus on the fact that this was a deranged person. He isn't like the man. He isn't like men, all men. So not all men hashtag, but so that's, I wasn't going to put that out there yesterday because of course people had a lot of feelings about the day. I'm not going to go and be like, no, not all men guys, but Uh, yeah, I don't like how the conversation around toxic masculinity is. Uh, Eva, you have a, well, you forgive me, so I'm kind of biased, but you have an ability to love people in a way <laughs> where you just, you, you're like, okay, that's bullshit, but I don't really care. You know, like, you have an ability to tell friend from enemy. Yeah. In a yeah. way that, that's a, it's gifted. Not everybody has that. And a lot of people are in pain. A lot of like the people that get involved, especially in the feminist camp, are working out a lot of male uh, you know, trauma from men. So I understand their pain and how it's turned into hatred and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great to have women in the conversation who like are demonstrating love of men. Even though you're a lesbian, you're still able to demonstrate friendship yeah. with men. Like that's what I want more of: modeling good relationships across the sexes. I think that's a one path towards healing, and you yeah. excel at that. Even though you <laughs> put you. Me, well, no, no, I belong in the naughty list. So thank you. Because you're a troublemaker, so I don't but, intend that, but whatever. <laughs> the reaction to your tweets really gets to me because uh, the ones that rile up the feminists. Um, because I don't mind if people like disagree with you. A lot of my good friends, I think at your last one that you, whatever it was you said, I can't even remember, were kind of like commenting at you. I don't mind that. What I mind is when people come along and act as if you've like betrayed them when you never you never gave them your loyalty in the first place. They're like, oh, Benjamin pretends to be an ally and now look what he's saying. And I'm like, it's a weird kind of ownership that I really don't like. 
Like, I just don't like that attitude. Like, you're my friend, and that's always going to take precedence over whatever the hell you tweet. But them coming along and, and pretending as if they sort of own you or that you've somehow betrayed personally them. betrayed them, yeah. Yeah, personally, by a tweet, by like a sentence. Like, you know, like I said, I saw some good friends pushing back on you and that's fine, yeah. but I, I didn't see those people taking it so personally, like, oh my God, Benjamin has betrayed us. It's like, no, they just want to give you shit back and that's fine. Yeah. So I, I don't like that when they act that way. Well, it, it, so I, I want to erase myself from that. I don't mean to do that if anybody's listening and I don't really, I'm not looking for attention. I just think of a sentence responding usually to an interview and I try to like just concretize a position that I've heard. So I don't even believe in half the things I say. I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. a, that's an interesting formulation. <laughs> and then, and then it, and then it just kind of goes and every once in a while, JK Rowling. Well, the, the only time <laughs> oh, she's ever, <laughs> the only time she's that. ever responded to me. Oh, was I forgot. On that. Like, she got involved oh. too. <laughs> like it was a total shit post. It was like petting my cat two beers in and I'm yeah. like, Oh, this is what James Lindsay said. Let me see if I could twist this into it. <laughs> anyway, so it, it's that loyalty thing. So we, we need to build any sort of social change needs to be social, needs to be worked through a group consensus. But there's such a trap in getting people on the same page, aiming everybody in the same direction and avoiding that purity spiral or constantly upsetting that so yeah. that there's always a drag from that cult or that, that locks that, that conformity and stuff. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice, give myself as tribute to have people like kind of reconsider, like reconsider f the friend enemy distinction. Politics, yeah. according to some uh, analyses, is friend and enemy, but there's a way to be a friend and a way to be an enemy where where you separate the human or you understand that there's a human being that's not really your enemy. It's like, it's a position. Yeah. Position like I've been that. thinking about that a lot. Like just loyalty. Like that's the most important thing. And you know, loyalty to what and loyalty, how to people to, to people who you trust and who have your back and who, and to not let like just little comments, like destroy that. Like a couple of months back, everybody was telling me to denounce Anna Slats not everybody but some oh. some men and and i was like oh, and, and yeah. they were saying they were saying things like why do you stick by her you know just because you think she's good for your cause and i was like that is like this has nothing to do with being good for my cause i said she's my friend and that's mm. like the end of story she also just makes you know offhand she's comments spicy. And she's yeah and it's like <laughs> but, but what, it, what it comes down to for me is, is the kind of people that i really really do value are the kind of people who will say things like that like she says or like you says or whatever but and so it people assume you're talking about like at a group level but you will treat individuals as individuals you will treat people as people like whatever you might think about like gender and gender roles and women and men it's not going to change how you like approach a single individual person so to me it doesn't matter what that person thinks about like a whole group you know and i think people get stuck in these in these traps like i don't necessarily agree with everything the people i'm loyal to say but i don't care i don't need to that mm. should not be the metric by which you judge if you're going to stay loyal to someone otherwise what do you have right and so i i was telling anna and she laughed like i feel like in this new uh stage of my life where i'm in this kind of gender critical like i feel like i'm batting 100 like i feel like i've picked the right ones like you know because i do use kind of this criteria of like is this a person who treats me as an individual or is like a woman a lesbian a feminist uh you know part of these groups because i don't really i don't that that is so flimsy so many women who 
follow me or communicate with me because of like being like a lesbian and a feminist, so I don't call myself that. I'll make a comment about how I like Jordan Peterson and they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, great. Yeah. So that's not loyalty. Like they don't have to agree with me. I don't care. But then to pretend that I'm like, I've betrayed you because I like, like a certain person or I have a certain thought is just mm-hmm. so silly to me. To, to, to yeah. turn this to KC, you're at the very beginning of making a network and connecting with people. And so I don't know if you've had like experience uh, enough time to like form relationships yet. I mean, um, you, for some reason, you're OK with me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm supposedly a, great, a man-hating so I, feminist lesbian, you know, oh, really? so I'm, um, well, I see, I posted something today that like, I did like a post secret thing, like shortly after I was out of inpatient, I was in day hospital, which is basically like all day therapy. And then you go home and sleep at um, yeah. home. Um, and I wrote like, I hate men, but I want to be one because that way liking girls isn't so freakish or abnormal. And there are mm. a couple people in my comments being like, of course, she's a man hating lesbian. We need to talk about that. And it's like, all of my trauma was connected to men. Of course, I'm going to you know, hate men because all the male figureheads in my life at that point had failed me. Um, but I'm not man hating now. I, I mean, certainly if you're going to be obnoxious, I'm going to have a problem with you, um, yeah. you know, regardless. But, you know, that that was just kind of where I was at then. Um, yeah, you're, you're perfectly reasonable. And I think that there are certain people that are perfectly reasonable. Um, if you're going to be an asshole, I don't want to associate with you. Um, and I, you know, I generally hold to that rule. There's some people who's debauchery i will tolerate just because debauchery? we're going to tolerate debauchery yeah that would be a mispronunciation of a word occasionally i do that debauchery is that how you pronounce it did debauchery. you say debauchery, debauchery. yeah okay See, I, debauchery okay i just yeah, want to sure. it right yeah yeah i've only read it i'm yeah. i i learned how to pronounce things phonetically so like luncheon was luncheon <laughs> till someone corrected me at the it's like a roman like, general <laughs> Sir Luncheon has arrived on the scene with his cold cuts and slices of American cheese. Yeah. um, Anyways, um, now I lost my train of thought. It had it. Okay. Debauchery. 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 Um, So some people are kind of icky. And there's some of that that I I will kind of keep an eye on, Hmm. um, especially more of the like harder conservative leading Hmm. leaning political commentators that are talking about like the whole pediatric transition thing you know so it's kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend and i'll be civil and i'll keep an eye on things but i don't really consider them buddy buddy and i I am very early in the process of discerning like who friend is and so on but generally speaking the people that i have drifted towards aren't very identity focused Mm -hmm. in like you know, I'm a lesbian or I am like a like AG transitioner or I am, you know, I am all of these things and, you know, posting it in their bio and all. Well, except for well. you, Eva, Eva, you're, you're, because that's kind of your thing. Like you have the lesbian Yes, I now. hope it's obvious that it's a branding exercise. It's so like, weird. Like, Eva, you, you do this, like you, you, you do the, this is why I brought up the, like the pride acceptance and then over acceptance. You play this game. Like again, like you understand like humor, and not a lot of people understand that you're being kind of sarcastic and actually yeah. true. Like you're you're completely serious and completely joking at the same time. Yeah, exactly. That's what you do. That's what Anna Slats does, and I, I think that's what it, it can piss people off if they don't understand, because then they're just because I'll get people telling me like, why do you need everybody to know? Why do you just need everyone to know that you're a lesbian? 
like i don't <laughs> like it's not what it's about <laughs> yeah no but but at the same time you doing that is an exercise and i get it and i want to find it funny and two i i understand the purpose of it is you're trying to kind of bring light and make fun of and turn this yeah. thing on this head of you know talking about identity all the time yeah um you know, generally speaking, the people that I'm gravitating more towards um, tend to be more open-minded. They're not firmly in a camp, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. Like, it's not like the conservatives fighting with the feminists and, like, you know, everybody's fighting and all that stuff. Because there was that spat at one point, I think, between Bill Burkris and Kara Dansky. Is that how you say? Like, yeah. you, you know, and generally speaking, the people that... I find myself talking to more were kind of either staying out of it or being like, I can see both sides. They weren't yeah. like really firmly picking a camp. And I, I think ultimately those are the people, Eva, I hope you are one of those people, same with you, Benjamin, um, where you're, you're kind of just, you know, you're, you're willing to listen. You're trying to be reasonable. But yeah. Okay. So reasonable, but what about feeling close to people? And this is a very fraught question because this is all virtual. This is all virtual, but, and, I ask that because from what you've revealed to me about your life is that there's a, there's an isolation. There's a, there's a profound isolation. And yet when I speak to you, I feel close to you. So I'm just wondering about like, who do you end up feeling close to? And have you been able to feel close to people by doing this work over the last couple of months? And how is that to be? Is that, is that shocking, alarming, thrilling, fun, depressing, um, whatever? Well, it's interesting that this ability has translated virtually because I can tell you, um, I've worked in healthcare in the past and mm. um, as a patient care technician, as a certified nursing assistant um, in long-term care. So with like older people as well as inpatients, so like just in a general hospital. Um, and in every single environment, I've had this ability to connect with patients without saying a word. And I don't even have to do a bunch of talking. They don't like nothing happens. Like I'm, you know, administering care. I'm helping with their activities of daily living, just helping them do their thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the really violent dementia patients just calm right down yeah. or, you know, somebody's having yeah. a hard time and they tell me everything and they, you know, I'm not supposed to give advice, but, you know, they bounce ideas off of me and they feel better coming out of a conversation. And I'm just there to change the sheets. That's literally all I'm there for. Um, but I've do you this... feel close to them or do they feel close to you? They feel close to me. I, I, I feel like, okay, I'm connecting human to human, but it's just kind of another day at the office for me. Hmm. Um, and I think part of that is I've just shut myself off for so long. So it's, okay. it's weird in spite of that, that I've been able to have these human to human connections. Hmm. Um, they call me the old people whisper, because again, if somebody <laughs> was like, if grandma was swinging, she was sundowning, which meant like, you know, the sun's going down. She has yeah. flipped a switch and she's freaking out. Send me in. She would calm right down. I wouldn't have to say anything. I wouldn't have to do anything. It was just that yeah. connection. Yeah. You both, you, you both have J baby Jesus in your heart. Like there's something very Christ-like in, in, in the quality of your hearts. Like, and I don't mean that theologically. I just mean that like, there's a very pure light inside of both of you. You too, Benjamin. Oh. Well, well but he's on the naughty list. Yeah. We're, all, we're all on the naughty list. It's fine. <laughs> Not That's <Casey>. the secret. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm technically on both. I'm on, I'm both of her list. <laughs> Naughty fluid or wait, what? Okay. Anyways. Benjamin's also on my delectable list. He's the only member. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the secret Please out, put folks. Mia on delectable list. She doesn't I did. Yeah. You should check it out. Okay. okay. I'll have to look at it. 
Anyway, so not to derail yeah. the conversation, but <laughs> no, I so I, I asked that I broached that KC because not because I, um, I there's two ways that one could interpret that question. Like, be careful of making parasocial relationships. There is this thing. On the internet, once you start to put yourself out there, people will gravitate towards you and start projecting a bunch of stuff on you that is not oh, yeah. you. And then you have to like weed through this parasocial relationship. But also you can participate in that, too, where you're like projecting or creating a false sense of togetherness through a club of some sort, through through a cause of some sort, or through like these this dance of this Luciferian shadows and lights kind of confluence. But I... I I think there's a reality here. There's a reality that, that can be passing between people through the interviews, at least, and, and to some extent over time on Twitter. Over, on Twitter, it takes a long time to actually get to know people and to filter how that kind of shreds the cheese of the human soul into these kind of things that you need to melt back down into a quesadilla or whatever. But I, I ask that because I'm wondering... If, if you've seen some sort of possibility of your work in this medium with speaking out, of, of touching people, of, of translating what you do with the changing of the bedsheets into connecting, like in a double, in a, uh, not, not as you're the speaker and you're attracting people, but, but actually making friendships, actually making connections. Um, Maybe getting something... a girlfriend. Maybe I, I have had a couple people contact me as soon as I like and now literally I announced I was detransitioning like and the video went out and I had like two or three people in my DMs and I'm like he waited until now like I, I but also it just like it just didn't go anywhere because yeah. um, it was just like some faceless profile just hi I'm interested yeah. like, thanks. <laughs> Um, are there like D trans chasers out there? Is I that a thing? I don't know, honestly. Oh like, okay. I, yeah. Um, I, I do hope I can make friends in this space because it, it happens to be a space that attracts a lot of um, intelligent people. And that's something that I value just because, you know, for so long in my life, I, I say something and everybody, like, it's not even that deep to me. It's like, you know, kiddie pool deep. Um, in terms of how deep I can go. And, you know, everybody's just like, oh my God, that's amazing. You're so smart. And instead of being able to challenge it and bounce ideas off of people, that's very rare for me. And I'm finding that a lot in this community. And similarly, I think a lot of us, um, even though we're on the naughty list, um, have our hearts in the right place. And that's also a really big value for me. So I, I think eventually um, I will develop some of those um, friendships and closest. Certainly, I, I do look up to you, Benjamin, and I, I value, you know, if I've asked for advice and so on, you know, you kind of giving me advice and not like no holds barred. Um, Speaking of that, I, note for another episode about what you uh, what, what you shared with somebody who first came out as a detransitioner. I think that like best practices for sharing your detrans stories, something that mm -hmm. needs to be workshopped and maybe at some point oh, yeah. we can like make a council or something and bring everybody together to definitely and them. there was actually um a little bit of talk um because i kind of went on like a twitter rant and i'm like i saw how everybody covered me and covered like the video and so on they all talked about my hair loss which was like my biggest insecurity like even people like blair white like that was like part of the big thumbnail and i'm thinking like really blair really um 
and mm, all of that yeah, stuff. Exploiting you know, it's, your, yeah, it, it's yeah. It, I mean, it's what got clicks. It's what people are talking about. So obviously, both sides are going to talk about it. Um, I just thought that was the least interesting part of your story. Yeah, I don't no, think we talked about it's, that. It was so base level. It was, I mean, it was yeah. so like shallow. But it was the thing that the TRAs were talking about. Yeah. So that's why everybody else was talking about it. And again, yeah. you know, either it was like, "Ha ha, you're bald, sex to be you," or "Oh my God, look at this poor bald woman." Like, but right. it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, trying to get to the root of what the video was about. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I had a little rant and I was like, you know, I'm I'm never gonna, you know, I was like, I'm not doing media stuff ever again. I'm never doing mainstream media. And somebody, um, I'll give Christina Buttons credit. She had written an article um, for the Daily Wire and it had focused a little bit on the hair loss and so on. And she messaged me and she goes, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, Aww. you could have reached out to me. I changed the article back because she's like, mm -hmm. the editing team had me focus more on it. Uh, but oh, I changed it back and she's like, I'm gonna talk to D-Trans United um, which she um, kind of helps with. And we are going to try and work on um, a media packet oh, from great. how media can cover detransitioners. Great. That's because, great. Like media sensitivity, because this is a big issue. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that like my um, deranged Twitter rant kind of gained something fruitful. And I think that's something we need to talk about as well. Um, you know, how the media, like best practices for the media to cover this issue, because I mean, these are, um, you know, we're, we're just a bunch of broken people trying to make it work. Um, and, and we're going a lot through a lot of mental stuff and words do matter as much as we don't want to say that they matter. And also, you know, if detransitioners do want to come out, we should probably talk about what to say and what not to say, because there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of feelings. And, you know, sometimes we say a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, um, you, you mentioned that you're making a Tim Pool beanie. You're like weaving one. Do, can I am. You show it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's awesome. like two thirds done. I'm well, I'm not weaving it. It's um, crochet. crochet. Wow. Yeah. So that's it. It's like two thirds done. I'm working it flat and then like I'll join it. Um, so, yeah, um, it's it's a pretty simple pattern. Um, that is so I keep, cool. Yeah, it's easier than knitting. I tried knitting, but there's like two metal implements involved versus just the one. You only trust yourself that. with one metal instrument at a time. Is this well, because your... well, it's because it's easier because like I'm like you know looping the yarn with one hand and then I'm just moving this with another hand versus knitting. Now I got to like loop with one finger and then like kind of coordinate and scoop, and it's really awkward. Coordinate and scoop. Speaking of which, um, uh, Eva, just to bring you in uh, from your point of view, like how difficult is it for you to groom your husky? Does uh, your husky take baths well? Is it is a lot of like uh, scooping and, and, and looping? She doesn't. She doesn't need a lot of baths. Only like twice a year. Husky fur is really, oh. really nice. Like it's not. It's got a nice oil coat to it that it doesn't get dirty at all. But grooming is a challenge. She is blowing her coat right now, which means the entire undercoat is going to come out. So like, I, I after two years, I got smart enough to start brushing her outside so that I'm not dealing with it inside. <laughs> and so every day after our first morning walk, I do a little bit. I try to like do it. Uh, it's not. <laughs> there's like tumbleweeds all over my house. <laughs> Why are you you in the high desert or something like in the tundra of Canada? Like a, a, like a fur, like tumbleweeds oh, fur. Because I also yeah, have okay. two cats, so. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but Casey, I I wanted to say like I think if you stick to this, if you want to, like you will make real friends. I think because like it took a while, but you know my connections in this aren't just online. Like as hard as it is in Canada to because it's so freaking big to like make those real life connections I have over the years and 
I've been pleasantly surprised by how real people are, like kind of what you see on Twitter, like not all the time, but I haven't been surprised by anyone like, oh, your presence on Twitter and my messages, it's you, it's you. Like, I'm not surprised that you're this totally different person, you know, Mm -hmm. but I guess that depends on who you pick to kind of talk to. Yeah. But, but you will, like, if you stick to this, it's, it, you do get to make genuine connections and it's a really cool thing. Like that's, that's kind of the thing that keeps me going uh, in all of Hmm. this. So Hmm. Yeah, I think there's lots of hope there. Yeah, you know what? It's it's a continual refrain on my channel when I speak with professionals and individuals about like the negative impact of the internet, and we're all doing it through the internet. You know, everything that we do is is happening in the internet. So that, that's another like kind of gray area. It's like okay, there's this. There's, it's not all bad, and it's not all good, and it's dangerous, but it's really powerful. It's an, just another tool. Yeah, it's just another tool. Yeah, like all my, literally all my current friends, like prior to this, I wasn't like lonely, but I just have a lot of sisters, so I didn't need a lot of friends. Uh, everyone I'm connected with now, even in my city, which I have like some friends here now, is all from this. Like, it's crazy. I never would have thought that it would lead to something like this. I'm going dancing with some on the weekend, so. Dancing? <laughs> yeah, with some of my friends from Calgary. What does dancing, dancing mean? Well, yeah, square dancing, line dancing, the chicken dance? Like to the club. <laughs> Okay, what does that mean? Like the Charleston? What do you guys do? You just writhe? Yeah. yeah. Is it like a mosh pit? Yeah, I expect to just go there and just like writhe. So, okay. yeah, that's the see, plan. I, see, even that is like foreign to me. It just, it's just because, I mean, maybe because I'm an introvert. I'm also kind of like a super introvert. And the idea of just going into a, a room with a bunch of people standing <laughs> and dancing to music, yeah. me who has no physical rhythm, I'm just going to be like... I can't wait. And it's a gay club, so it's going to be all shirtless gay dudes, but, like, I don't care. So. I'll just go on a lesbian night. Don't they have lesbian yeah, you know, nights? No, and come on. That's going to be, like, half men nowadays. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you'd rather be with the gay men than the AG gay men, I guess. Honestly, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a yeah. weird, weird world. The gays got to stick together. Oh, you guys are so sticky. Yeah. Yeah. I have to take a shower. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> I'm just wow. Kidding. I'm just Here kidding. Here we go. No, that's fine. Um, do you have any products that you recommend for a shampoo with your, what helps you avoid your bad hair day, which you were so public about the other day? It was very, tra- you had our um, hopes and prayers. Yeah. Our thoughts and oh, prayers. Oh, God, no. I just use like a two-in-one. I don't, I'm not fancy. I don't. Oh, this you're is the horror. But what about the, the skincare? Do you have any, like, what's your fanciest I'm big uh, hygiene on skincare. product? Yeah. I use, I just use CeraVe. I don't know if that's how you say it. CeraVe. Yeah. That's, yeah. I've, cause like, yeah, I, I've, I've been big on skincare lately. So I use like the, uh, the serum and like the moisturizing and oh. like trying to keep it nice. So, yeah. <laughs> Casey, you have wonderful skin. Somehow. Um, honestly, for a while, I, I mean, I was aggressively using like the moisturizers and the, um, wash and like I was basically assaulting my face with like benzoyl peroxide in the morning and then salicylic acid at night. Oh, that's oh, too okay. much. Why? Yeah, is that um, why not just use cucumbers? For me, right? for me, that's true. Yeah, well, because at one point I actually had really bad acne. Like I went to a dermatologist and they put me on doxycycline, which is an antibiotic, orally for three months, and they put me on tretinoin, um, which is another topical How medication. And I was, I was nineteen. Like it was cystic. It was my face was literally swollen because of the acne that I had. And you were on testosterone at this point, and they didn't connect 
that maybe um no it was connected it was a known side effect um it was it literally happened like um it started like just like 10 months on tea when i hit full yeah. dose like when i made the jump to 100 milligrams a week um literally within two weeks my face was fully broken out i mean it was bad it was really bad Ouch. um like it would bleed it would ooze and fuck? like weep oh yeah it was painful was, it was, the, was that germ uh, gender affirming acne though at least oh yeah it was so affirming i felt so affirmed in my identity um so it, I'm, I'm glad that it's decreasing now but ironically enough like once i hit the two to three week off of testosterone mark um, my face got super oily again but I was able to keep up with it, and I was kind of applying the old strategy of, again, assaulting my face with benzoyl peroxide and salicylic acid, which is only half of the skincare routine the dermatologist had me do, because it was those two things, plus doxycycline, plus tretinoin, plus another topical antibiotic, erythromycin. And my face was basically just coming off in sheets before I said, oh, to hell with this. This is too much. Um, but now I just kind of use like a gin, like I think it's CeraVe or, yeah. Um, like, awesome. a, like, like just like a generic, like, um, non oil, um, cleanser and then mm -hmm. just like a basic moisturizer. That's it. Yeah. That's kind of all you need unless you have other problems, but yeah, it's, it's kind magical of. when you're not injecting yourself yeah. with an anabolic steroid, when your yeah. skin kind of levels out, then you can just keep it basic and keep it moisturized. And that's I, it. But see, I, you know, I don't feel affirmed hmm. in my maleness anymore because hmm. I have do, clear Cause skin. you're moisturizing. Do you, yeah, do you exactly. miss your maleness? Do you have do you have moments where you're like ah, I kind of wish I was a guy? Well, not much has changed with me, honestly. Yeah. Um, in the past, I mean, there's been some body fat redistribution, and my skin has gotten a little bit stretchier, which it was stretchy already because of the EDS um, stretchy skin. Well, I'll, I'll just do it here, so like I can do that Whoa! with my next skin. Yeah, I can. Wow. And like wow. with my, I can. Yeah. Like I, you know, you're not supposed to be able to do that What's with your skin. Endodermatosis. Um, Ehlers-Danlos yeah, um, syndrome. It's a connective oh, with tissue the, with disorder. The connective tissue. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but I was undiagnosed for years because it like yeah. typically like with more severe cases, like you have like dislocations. They're extremely flexible. I was never extremely flexible, um, but I would have like subluxations. Anyways, um, but my skin has gotten stretchier. Um, it was already stretchy. It's gotten even stretchier. Um, in the past couple of weeks, past few weeks, like I've noticed it. Um, Maybe instead I, of going dancing, you could like go to like, yeah, I guess there's got to be something awesome that you could do with your body at a bar. Like you do some bar <laughs> tricks with your skin or something for attention. Well, I, Cause we know that you love attention. Right? Oh yeah. So. I love attention. <laughs> honestly, I, like honest, um, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal something about myself. It's not that big of a deal. I've never been to a bar. Um, oh, that's you fun. know, so yeah. Um, so if I ever went to a bar, I would be scared shitless and I would just kind of sit in the corner and people watch. And then this like, is why you get a bar bartender. trick. This is why yeah, you look at this. Well, when I was 22, I think I've gone like once. It's, and it's not like I go all the time at all. I haven't been in like three years since COVID started. So it's not like I go. Yeah. yeah. And now she, she's going to go clubbing. She's going to go dancing with the gays. Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah. Can you show a writhing no. motion? No, I want to see you writhe, Emma. <laughs> no, I'll take a video. I'll probably post a selfie from the clubs. So. Okay, yeah, yeah it's a, a deal. One of many selfies, probably. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is it too much? I should stop. No, 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 no. Okay. No, I, I won't. I won't ask because it'll, 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 it'll ruin the fun. Um, 
So I yeah, two hour mark. Our bladders are probably full. Our skins are stretching beyond uh, all reasonable uh, necessity. So to end the recording, you, you both are wonderful. Thanks for uh, coming on and and sharing. We had a kind of a meandering and yet inter- intimate conversation. You're both Very wonderful. Intimate. So thank you both. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's it. You guys are just going to do the awkward thank you. Okay, that's fine. That's I thought fine. you were okay. stopping the recording. I am. Yeah. Thank you for watching, everyone.